0: Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations.
1: We, we, we We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse, the fifth column.
0: Greetings and welcome back to another (laughs) exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your mostly weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle people that make it occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster and I'm sorry that we weren't here last week. There, there there's a story and actually probably we, we released the thing on Patreon. We should because it's it's a bit of a mess and we had an issue because, uh, the, the new editor we just picked up, he he had a baby and everything went a little sideways. So whatever. It's fine. It's fine. I'm here. I do various things at FreeThink. Guess who else is here? Matt Welch, editor at large, Reason Magazine, who who got drudged this week, and maybe we'll talk mm-hmm. about that. And Michael Moynihan of Vice News, also here. Did not get drudged. Well, actually he did get drudged, but it's a euphemism. <laughs> it's a
2: euphemism. <laughs> I got drudged in the lower east side and like three the morning. Yeah, yeah. He's like, What are they doing? You want to get drudged? And I said, Yeah, sure. <laughs> Next thing yeah, yeah, it's you know, been I, a while. COVID. Tape over my mouth. I'm <laughs> in Parsippany, New Jersey. Like, what happened? It's you fantastic. got the rest, my friend. Get out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a fun one. That's why um, we didn't record last week. Yeah.
0: The whole kidney. week, actually. Um, but uh, how the hell are you guys today?
2: It's you been know, a little while. we recorded a Patreon. Yeah, last yeah. night, which it was, was
0: a, mostly a planning meeting, actually.
2: <laughs> it was. Uh yeah. we like to give people a look inside inside of how the the, <laughs> the, the whole you know sausage is made. And it is yeah. quite ugly. But uh yeah, in that <laughs> and we should say now because now that I've straightened it out, because in the Patreon uh, I'm I'm like, but doing the live show in twenty twenty four and you know, I just had yeah. no idea what I was talking about. So uh it's on uh, Thursday, June third Ladies and gentlemen, uh-huh. boys and girls, the Fifth Column live back in front of a live audience in a post-COVID place in Miami, Florida. At mm-hmm. a place called, you know, Just Laugh, laugh If You Want or whatever it's called. <laughs> Just the Funny. <laughs> Stop Just the laughing. Funny. So, yeah. yeah, we'll be, we'll be announcing. a very intimate, very intimate comedy intimate club. Intimate comedy club. We, I think we're doing two shows that night. It looks like we
0: are doing two shows that evening. So, yeah. But the details will be on the website in due time. We will be announcing it first and releasing tickets first to the patrons yes. of this fine podcast. Yes. So if you were not one, you may want to become one. Um, and uh, yeah, it should be a good time. We're really looking forward to to getting out into the wild and mm-hmm. having a number of intimate encounters yes. with most of you. And yes. by intimate, I mean sexual. Yes. Completely s- consensual. We are going to be
2: gillaming. <laughs> oh. We're going to be straight gillaming. The whole time. You are going to get m- drudged. Yeah. I'm going to get drudged <laughs> by Andrew Gillum. Let's get but him on. man, I love your campaign. The next thing you know is like incense and peppermint. And so I'm like, <laughs> 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 smoking meth with like a rent boy. I don't know. I, he's not a bad oh, guy. Oh, God. On. Give the guy a break. We fucked
0: up. Oh, well, Matt. Do, do you want to talk about the piece that got Drudge that was that yeah, was, was, was so that? good that Matt Drudge couldn't ig- ignore it and put it on on the homepage there?
3: First of all, Matt Drudge, um, you know, whoever. who also lives
0: in Miami, by
2: the way,
3: is that right? Let's get Drudge on.
2: Yeah, he doesn't come out of his apartment. No. But yeah, yeah, he lives in Miami. I
3: mean, there's a whole uh conspiracy theory uh around him about the election because he turned on Trump pretty decisively, and so uh, my theory mm-hmm. is that now that he's obviously been you know turned, uh, now he can safely link to uh, my work instead of uh, ignoring it, which he's done for most of his long, <laughs> illustrious career. Uh, no, I wrote a piece for reasons. Uh, the topic is not uh, new for those of you who've listened to this podcast. The title of it, which is hard to come up with and is perhaps not the best, but also kind of reflects it, is called The Equity Mess, and it starts off uh, kind of elucidating at greater length what Camille said on the Bill Maher show, talking about what um, what does this word equity mean in a modern political context? And what it really means is equality of outcomes as opposed to equality of opportunities. Uh, and I went in a little bit like uh, at more length about how the, the notion of equality of outcomes was – discredited like it was talked about and it kind of lost it was understood that that was too utopian that uh, any government that that claimed that it could produce those results was going to do terrible kind of leveling things uh in order to try to produce them I and mean, everyone would get screwed i mean cuba uh, was an equality of outcomes and still is. Great, great of health care, though. Uh,
2: amazing, amazing place to get ill.
3: Yeah, unless there. you
2: want aspirin, then it becomes problem. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have seizures, but stop being so Western. Overrated, <laughs> yeah. overrated.
0: The uh, best way to get those infant mortality stats down yeah, yeah, is to babies die in <laughs> you know, pregnancy or lie. It didn't just
3: actually start, our, the piece didn't start off with that intention, actually. It was supposed to be a piece— that looked at the policies that predominantly uh, Democratic uh, cities and states had adopted during COVID. Um, but it even wasn't sort of like done from a, um, a, a partisan standpoint. It was just like, right. what did our policies during COVID, does that going to, how is that going to affect us in the future? Um, and yeah. as part of looking at that, I just started measuring stuff, right? Like started putting numbers through things, uh, which states lost the most or the highest percentage of jobs. Uh, during um, the pandemic, which ones lost the fewest percentage um, and as I had teased before on this podcast and a couple of times, the results are so shockingly partisan. Like literally the 18 states that lost mm-hmm. the most jobs as a percentage all voted for Biden. 11 of the 18 have uh, unified democratic control, governor, legislature and and whatnot. The 18 states that lost the fewest jobs, including those that gained jobs like Utah. Um, all have Republican governors or all voted for Trump. Most have Republican governors and the vast majority have unified Republican. It's like crazy the disparity hmm. between that as is um, as those of us who've been following the school reopening debate um, have long known and have, have torn our eyeballs out about um, that's also true of school reopening. Mm-hmm. The states with the open schools are Republican. The states with closed schools or like the laggardly, Oh, is that racist uh, open uh, schools are Democrat, and it's <laughs> no. it's overwhelming, and there is no um, difference between the blocks of states when it comes to COVID infections, mortality, or anything else. Like you can control huh. for any of that. It doesn't. In, Hawaii is the most closed state, and the state that has lost the most uh, jobs. And granted, that's tourism uh, doesn't doesn't help them at all, uh, but they have the lowest cor- COVID mortality by far yeah. U- utah also has low covid mortality and it has and it's also tourist dependent state and it has gained jobs like it's like you know it that doesn't change the 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 median mortality between the two back when i looked at it like this block was 152 deaths per 100,000, and this one was 142 deaths like it has nothing to do with it and same thing with school reopening school reopening And so many people have looked at this from every political angle, uh, and, and they're all shocked. You can feel the shock in their reports. They're like, oh, gosh, we really thought that this might have something to do with, like, how bad is COVID hitting you? And it doesn't. It has to do with, are you Republican or are you Democrat? And, and right. I don't, and I am the guy who doesn't want to come to that conclusion. I hate that conclusion, right? It's the mm-hmm. conclusion that, and, and, you know, some of the clicks that I got from this, including from Drudge and Real Clear Politics, I was, yeah. <laughs> the Daily Mail did a rewrite on this. Oh, so yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. sign. Uh, Michael Savage <laughs> reprinted it on his site. So they love it because it's like Democrats fucked up. All right. I yeah. get it. Um, and it is kind of true. I think, um, although there's uh, you know, some follow-ups that we can talk about, um, but f- for me, the reason to tie it up with equity, right, and that was the original frame of it, is that the point of the modern language and politics of equity is to work backwards from measured impact of events. To say this – like in the context of New York schools, right, uh, these specialized high schools um, that are the elite high schools – don't have enough black and brown people. Ergo, there is systematic racism, right? You measure
2: backwards. In favor of Asian people.
3: In favor of Asian, yes. which who are white adjacent people, <laughs> yes, as you until know. until they're not. Um, and then they're not. And then they're not. Yeah, but like- Depends. Uh, but if you use that measurement, the measurement that they insist on, the people who are now uh, uh, going for equality of outcome, which again had been a discredited thing, but equity sounds kind of nicer. Equity sounds like something that we could fix. It sounds like there's ownership involved or whatever. But if you use that- um, standard to measure policies that were done and have been done under COVID, it's an absolute crazy wipeout. Who suffered the most economically in this country because of COVID policies? People of color and no women.
0: <laughs> That's it's, the answer, right? Ac-
3: no, but it's actually women. It's women and and specifically uh, single single mothers and single uh, mothers of color now that you ask um uh,
0: Camille but like <laughs> he, didn't um, ask. he he told you I didn't ask I, blur, <laughs> I blurred t- it out. I blurted I blurted out the answer cuz it's but what like, I hear over and over again if
3: you're if you're measuring it on the and it's and it's incredible like there's there wasn't a male recession during covid there mm-hmm. was only a female recession and uh and so like if the same people who were saying like we have to measure backwards from everything like Joe Biden, on his literal first day in the office, signed an executive order um, saying that we have to measure everything that this federal government does on uh, equity, not equality. He actually corrected himself. Equity grounds and to see whether the uh, the impacts are uh, affecting everybody on an equal way. Um, So, okay, let's measure the impacts of COVID policy. And what we see is Democratic COVID policy absolutely hammers the people that they claim to be – supporting and fighting for. And and again, I I don't want to
2: get there, but that's where I got. How many people understands that difference? Because, I think there's a lot of people that that take advantage of that, of just the sort of well-meaning person who doesn't understand the difference between those two very similar words. It's like, you know, what's, like, what's the difference between booze and fortified wine? <laughs> cheese and cheese food? right? They're kind of the same, but they're not really the same when you kind of look at it, right? And that's the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, equity is good. It's like, you're thinking about equality, aren't you? You're like, I don't know. What's the difference? Yeah. And I, I, I hear equity used more and more and more, and they don't, and, and a lot of people that I've interacted with don't understand the kind of politically charged kind of ideological nature of equity versus the, the, you know, can be much more neutral word of equality. And I just don't sense that people have really copped on to the difference.
0: But they probably do, though, right? Because at least in one sense, usually conversations about equity are paired with these metrics and these racial framings. So you start to talk about, quote, disadvantaged communities, which at this point
2: Marginalized is just yeah.
0: a euphemism for black or Latino. It seems probably like a bad idea to just generalize about black people and refer to them all as disadvantaged. I keep waiting for someone to call me disadvantaged to my face um, so that I can throttle them. Um,
2: You should have like really expensive gloves on and just (laughs) throttle them with $500 gloves. It's the slapping. It's the slapping. That's what wealthy people do. How
3: dare you, sir? Just with a flappy glove, the Bruno Magdalene.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that that really is like the thing about, about your piece, Matt, that kind of most stood out to me it's the the fact that when people begin from the the standpoint that i am going to discover these various racial disparities because that is the narrative here and that's the most important thing to see and i think it probably blunts your ability to actually gain some insights about what policies may be working what policies may be hurting people and how and why those policies are hurting people certainly to just say like oh my god systemic racism that's the thing that leads to these bad outcomes that's a great way to completely ignore the policies that were instituted a couple of months ago that may be having profoundly bad consequences for the rest of the economy, which also reminds me of a pretty fabulous piece that I saw in the in the Washington Post uh, this past week, looking at um, the foreclosure crisis. I should say perhaps the non-foreclosure crisis, because you have all of these homes which are occupied by people who are, in many instances, unable to pay their rent to landlords, most of these landlords being like small landlords who own a couple of homes or one home and are renting them out and have people there who can't be put out of their houses, despite the fact that they haven't been able to pay their bills, and who in many instances are perhaps getting some sort of federal subsidy or completely ignoring the possibility of getting the federal subsidy that they might have used to be able to pay their rent. And it's, it's a looming crisis in the sense that These landlords are, in many instances, like going broke. And there are plenty of policymakers who imagine that it was just a quick fix. A great, great Band-Aid during the pandemic is to make sure that people don't have to pay rent or worried about getting thrown out of their homes. Of course, that overlooks a a significant portion of the population. And unintended consequences of well-intended policies are things that we probably ought to keep track of.
2: There was the movement in New York City um, that gained a certain uh, amount of ground. Of uh, cancel rent, which you know, my first instinct on that was, what it's business going, yeah. does the government have in intervening and telling uh, people who own properties that they cannot collect their rent from the people who are living in their houses? Because you know, the presumption is always, and I interviewed somebody about this, and I think I actually made it into a piece that I did, and they were like, you know, trying to explain to me that the guy who owned their building was wealthy. And their explanation of what was wealthy was, you know, a 22-year-old's explanation and didn't take into consideration all the expenses that one incurs in owning buildings, particularly in a very heavily regulated market like New York City. And it's like, no, that's not because, you know, you're asking a person through no fault of their own, and often, you know, for the people who can't pay rent or out of jobs because the economy closed down through oftentimes no fault of their own either. But to assume the financial burden of somebody else in your house, I mean, you've, it's like, it's like you've inherited a new family and you just have to pay for them. And, you know, I got the instinct that people said, you know, we should cancel rent. But the fact that there was no um, real discussion that I saw of whether or not it was The government's um, business or it had the ability to to step into private landlords and say you cannot actually collect rent. It's
3: not just the government, too. And this is this boggles the mind. But the agency in the federal government that has been blocking eviction is the Centers for Disease Control. Yeah. Yeah. The CDC, the people who are supposed to be like hyper focused. You got one job. (laughs) We have like (laughs) pandemics. We we need to make the pandemic thing stop. That's that's what you were controlling disease. The people who are Mm -hmm. supposed to be controlling disease are preventing landlords from collecting rent. The fuck does that even mean? Uh, And that's and, and that hasn't aroused, you know, didn't this began under Trump it aroused aside from you know cranky libertarian press not a lot of comment but it's crazy it's like on on right. surface it's crazy like even have a different agency do it this is not yeah. controlling disease this is <laughs> making landlords go bankrupt
2: the fuck what, what does that even mean cancel rent is a different instinct by the way rather than we're going to try to intervene and, uh, you know, create some sort of arrangement or we're giving people subsidies. I mean, the past year was an enormous mm-hmm. blank check from the government to give people things which, you know, was was necessary in in, in a lot of uh, places because it was the government that was shutting down these things things down. And, and, oh, in know. some respects, although a lot
0: of those policies, it can be argued that they weren't particularly well calibrated. No, they weren't. Didn't started. actually have anything to do with COVID. No,
2: I mean, how <laughs> oh, many I saw a story today. Yeah. I mean, how many times uh-huh. have you picked up the newspaper and seen this story and there was a guy that like i what was it it was like he 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 took his his money for some fake business that it was failing because of covid and like started an hmm. alpaca farm was <laughs> like bought like a maserati and like there's a story like that every day i mean these things are i mean there's a few that get caught i'm sure there's plenty that get away with uh you know, you know, just bilking the government out of tons of money. But uh, anyway. Yeah. But the good yeah. thing, by the way, I'll say the positive thing, and I think it was you, Matt, that maybe tweeted this or sent this to us, that there were eight thousand or some odd tests of school children in New York City, and there was a single, one, uh, positive COVID test.
3: Yeah, I mean, they've been testing mm. on a weekly basis, tons of school kids, including my twelve-year-old, um, uh, since September in New York. Um, building up this vast database. and
2: Proving that it's the safest place to be in New York.
3: <laughs> seriously. Like, you know, as the spikes go up and down, no matter what the, the, um, the community rate is, and the community rate has gone up and gone down, it's now, I guess, closer to 2%. But no matter what it is in the community as a whole, it's one-tenth of that or less in schools and yeah. it always has been throughout. Um, and this mm. piece of data is just not um, emphasized by people. Like it's so easy to catastrophize to zero risk eyes. And that's definitely a word. um, Things like, well, you know, why should we allow the kids go back in school? My uh, two daughters went back in school today in school buildings today for the first time in 391 days on the same day Um, that happened Hmm. today. Um, So like and the argument on the other side, the teachers union people who get up in my mentions and whatnot, um, they're like, oh, you know. My aunt died of COVID because of kids in the classroom. No, Thanks. Um, well, there's that, but uh, uh, I try to be nice. Uh, Maybe
2: she was stabbed during the, <laughs> before the school closed by a, by a very <laughs> aggressive student. But, but
3: uh, uh, this, the, and in their, in their best moments, or um, like, you know, steel manning the argument on the other side, the most, um, the unions will say it's the marginalized communities, Camille, who you don't care about. Um, deny that they exist. They're the ones who suffered from uh, COVID the most, and that's actually true. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, it is. Yeah, poor uh, uh, families, uh, more Black and Brown communities, people who have to actually go to work for a living. Um, they mm-hmm. have suffered more uh, from COVID than people who can't be described in that way. Um, and so the rejoinder to that, besides empathy and like, wow, that's bad, and what can we do to help and whatnot, um, is to say. Yes. And and the and here is what you were doing with your kids um, is less safe than putting them in schools and to use them as a shield to keep schools closed as teachers unions have been doing throughout. And now it's only like in a few last places. It's in Chicago. It's in San Francisco. It's in a couple of last holdouts. They're going to ring the last ransoms out of governments that are swayed. Uh, By the the political power of teachers unions, which is 95 percent Democratic um, in in terms of their uh, donations, Um, uh, it'll go like that. But people are broadly unaware of how unlethal – the disease has been for people who are
0: under 18 years old, still like 260 people. It's still the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Although at the moment they're very concerned about variants and, and the, things like that.
3: Yeah. You can always make it, make a new catastrophe, but it's like, yeah. as, as Michael's pointing out, it's one test. And this is, I think on a single day, it wasn't a week, but one test out of like 8,000 and something was positive. in all of the schools in New York to do random testing, it is a safer place to be than everything right. else. So I bet that, that kid off. who was
2: positive was actually like 40. And like, it was like Gary Coleman or something. It was Emmanuel Lewis. It was like, wow. was like you're, you're, you're in your mid forties. Come on, be honest.
0: In my <laughs> defense, Welch, um, it's not that I say that that marginalized communities don't exist. It's that I am against conflation. I am against the Absolutely assertion right. that black people in general are marginalized because plenty of them are are very well off. And and it's there's something obscene about conflation that kind of conflation because it actually takes our attention away from people who genuinely need fucking help. We, we, here's, here's I saw how you infected today.
3: my brain. And you can oh, finish good. this in a second. Yeah. Uh, I was on, I was on the great uh, C4 uh, uh, show in uh, WBAL Baltimore, you know, him uh camille um, i don't but yeah
1: C4, uh,
3: <laughs>
2: explosive
3: uh his family is a great tradition of baltimore civil rights activists he's like in the third generation but they are always uh, uh have been on the front lines.
0: yes yeah, so he look at you presuming things i don't know i don't know them people that's like right around the corner for me <laughs> um, it's a different universe babe
3: but anyways like uh you know you have uh we were talking about my piece mm-hmm. and, and various things and c4 is very uh sympathetic to my point of view he was excited about it um, and I was, uh, and I was sort of like confronted with having to say black and brown communities yeah. and I couldn't do it. Good, I couldn't do it. I was like, and okay, I don't like this generalization, <laughs> black and brown communities shorthand. I don't necessarily agree with, but if we're just going to be, I had to like, try to, I can't even just say the normal things in Indian America. Well, I mean, the, out. the obscenity, <laughs> the obscenity
0: of it, like is, is really important. And, and unfortunately, because of the way that bias works in academic research, which is to say there are certain questions that aren't even worth asking or investigating, there is no research really happening about whether or not at least no research that gets published that might suggest that young, and I, I'm saying this the wrong way. There's very little research published about what having this really deep abiding belief in racial identity like does to young people. And no great compelling evidence, so far as I know, um, or research done with respect to whether or not these perspectives becoming more pessimistic, like universalizing the belief that Black people are, by and large, downtrodden and beleaguered, that this is actually having a good positive effect on the potential outcomes of children. One can imagine, however, that inculcating this broadly held belief amongst the whole of society that Black kids can't do well, aren't doing well, are in fact disadvantaged by virtue of their existence as Black children is probably not a good idea maybe that isn't a recipe for success in any number of circumstances and maybe broadly that could have some other bad societal spillover effects and that's just one attribute of all of this that is disconcerting and it would be great if people looked at that but again like it there's a no solution in terms of that
2: right i mean what if you go to a doctor and you say you know i just generally have a feeling that i don't feel great mm-hmm. And they say, can you be a little more specific? We're trying to treat the actual thing that you might sure. have. And then as you go on, you get sort of airier and farrier and less, and less specific, which is what I find so frustrating with all this stuff is that, you know, I'm perfectly happy to engage with anybody on this stuff. And I'm sure that they could convince me of certain things. But, you know, when... We talk about it in the way, as Camille says, you know, when you say black and brown communities, I mean, you're talking about Pakistani Americans, you're talking <laughs> about Indian Americans. What are you talking about? All of about? the above. So be more specific and once all of the above, right? And then you say, you know, the this is a result of systemic racism or systemic or white supremacy, et cetera. When you ask for specifics, they are few and far between. You can talk about, you know, outcomes, right? And to, to the point of your piece is saying the outcomes are are sort of dispiritingly, you know, different amongst these groups. Yes, of course, but let's try to sort of see if we can address that. I just cannot read in Ibram X. Kendi or any of these people that are kind of in vogue right now and get a, a specific thing that allows for a specific policy response. Because it, what it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong about this, and maybe I'm not paying close enough attention, that the response is we need an absolute ideological overhaul of the kind of American psyche. We need to replace what we think about, you know, race in this country, white supremacy, what is and is not racist. And then we have to, to sort of replace it with this with this, um Uh, new ideology. If you doubt this, then we'll go into this other book and say you have some sort of white fragility. You just, you kind of crack up at the idea that maybe your preconceived notions were wrong. And you're speaking up here at this kind of 20,000 foot view without doing any of, I'm going to use the language that 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 is used in this, without doing any of the quote unquote work, (laughs) right? What is it that can be done rather than saying, let's stop Asian Americans from getting into Stuyvesant? Or Bronx Mm -hmm. science, and then let's replace them with people that may, you know, not otherwise meet the the entrance criteria. Okay, you've you've just. You know, reorganize the line. You say, okay, you're going to come to the front of the line now. All right, great. And then you can actually, you know, quote LBJ in this speech at Howard University of, you know, hobbling people and you know bring them up to the to the uh, starting line, having hobbled them in chains for so long. But when you do this, right, and you what is what are we actually doing after the people are, you know, equity demands that people get into a school or demands that X, Y, or Z happen? What is it then? Right. Because obviously this universal white supremacy doesn't go away because it is in the vested interest of these people to see it everywhere. You know, it's a ghost that you can't actually get a hold of because anything you say, you're liable of being accused of it. And once you actually eradicate that and everybody is speaking this language in a kind of robotic Orwellian way that you're just like, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. I didn't use the preposition Mm -hmm. and it's this way. Like, okay, everyone's doing that now, right? You've, you've rewired us and you've said that we can't have these people in the school now because they, they're, you know, do very, very well despite the fact that they come from like poor immigrant families in Queens and there are too many of them at Bronx Science Mm -hmm. or Stuyvesant. Mm -hmm. What next? Yeah. No one ever asked that. Yeah. You know, what is next? Because we're too busy policing language, talking about how we have to, you know, how things of the past we can't watch anymore. Books of the past we can't read anymore. The Western canon is not, you know, doing a, doing a great disservice to people who don't see themselves reflected in Greek mythology, which <laughs> I don't see myself reflected in either, by the way. Um, let's eliminate they that. They got your nose. Uh, they do, they do. It's like this- Not the, quite as broke. You know, I'm like, ah, they have the hunger. Like me. It's very same. I like book. I'm going to be number one in class. I don't know what one does after all of this, yeah. right? Because we are so obsessed with language policing, with keeping everybody, you know, from stepping on these landmines and everyone's paranoid about doing so, that we've kind of forgotten about how we reach actual outcomes without kind of, you know, cheating a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh,
3: I was uh, thinking a, a stray thought as you were talking, and I'll, I'll make it quick is that um, I'm older than you people, and I remember. Uh, negative stereotypes about ethnic Mm. groups. Do you remember (laughs) those? Those are often really super funny. Um, (laughs) uh, Usually, Polish
2: ones were so so bizarre.
3: Polish ones are bizarre because, like, like oh, the Pollocks are stupid, and of course, Pollocks are super smart. Yeah, it's not true. It's not true at all. Or like Mexicans are lazy. It's literally the opposite. The non opposite of that people. But I'm embarrassed
2: of how little work I do when I like drive by the Mexican embassy. I'm like, everyone in there works at eight other embassies too. <laughs> Everyone they're hardest working people on the planet. And if you're racist about that, you gotta find a new attack.
3: <laughs> uh and in in uh again to black Americans, Camille, um uh, I was a light like, lazy and shiftless. There was, you know, a bunch of different things uh about this. And like you could in theory, and I'm brain farting this, so go ahead and call me a racist. Mm-hmm. Um but like you can use some of that as a chip on your shoulder. Like, wait, you're calling me this? I am going to be opposite. It's mm-hmm. You can, you can, you can fuck clean off. Like it's a, it's a, uh, it's a motivating factor. The collective negative uh, uh, kind of uh, assumption of your characteristics based on, on things that you had nothing to do with. Um, kind of hard to say what those things are. I'm sure they still exist. They're much more muted. they are certainly not as much, uh, you know, bandied about in the culture because everyone's walking on eggshells. Um, But like it's interesting that now that racism has become systemic, that it's become much less specific. Mm -hmm. Like what does racism look like? Uh, I presume it's still – I mean, there's no – I don't even think we have, like, the black quarterback thing anymore, which we did when I was growing up. Totally. Yeah. Like, yeah. my God, are black people smart enough to play quarterback? It seems like science fiction, but that was the world I grew that up in. That was the thing that people it believe It doesn't right? exist anymore. Yeah. It just yeah.
2: doesn't as far as I know. Is it Jimmy Jimmy the Greek who got in trouble for that? No, he was He was saying uh, – he was making an the, the – the scientific case from the gambling man named Jimmy the Greek. Oh. Weirdly, he seemed to be off about this, um, about, uh, you know, breeding. Oh, uh, yeah. You know. The
3: popular betting man sportscaster got himself into trouble during a lunchtime interview about the significance of Martin Luther King's birthday. He said that blacks were bred to be superior athletes.
1: Owner, the slave owner would, 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 would breed his big... Black to his big woman, so that he could have a, a, big, a, big, a big black kid, see? And
3: Snyder said, that's why blacks excel over whites in sports. The black is a better athlete to begin with, because he's been bred to be that way. Because of his
1: high thighs and big thighs, that goes up into his back.
3: Snyder went on, saying there's not much room left for, quote, the white guys in sports except for a couple of coaching jobs his dismissal seemed inevitable given the widespread coverage and criticism yeah. he also
0: thought he was being complimentary of the the black athletes which had been had been crafted sculpted by via selective breeding because they they bred Again, the strongest. Again, he was the Greek
2: gambling correspondent. Yeah, It yeah. was literally like yes, a Greek a, he's guy. because he gambles. I, think, I think his job was based on an ethnic <laughs> stereotype. Right? Let's pull him out of the diner. Yeah, Although, yeah, yeah. I, suspect- I tell you, you put all your money on the chargers. You make money on the chargers, yeah. my friend, Dan Fouts. Yeah, Dan Fouts, good mustache. Although beard. I
0: suspect that a lot of Americans actually agree with with precisely what he said. They wouldn't know why that that is bad. They would only think that you're just not supposed to say things like that. But I don't want to have an extended conversation about genetics right now.
2: I don't want to ever, yeah,
0: I do, yeah. at some point. The black
2: talent is beautiful. It's great. It's yeah. out there. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the only thing left for the whites is a, a couple coaching jobs. Yeah, maybe we that, need that,
3: to get
0: that, more that, black that, coaches. That, oh, it's all right with me. Okay, well, I'm we'll, sure that they'll take over that pretty soon,
2: too. We'll get into that later. So I think Richard Hernstein's dead, so I don't think you can do that special episode. <laughs> there so. are plenty, plenty uh, of <laughs> other people talking about these things, actually. Yeah, I, I think they're probably... Uh, for, are, better, yeah. for better yeah. and worse. I don't want to talk about that.
0: Um, but there, there are other things happening in the universe that I think are probably worth our attention. There is a a kerfuffle at Basecamp, which is a software company. They make a piece of software called Basecamp, which you may or may not be familiar with. Mm This is a very public company. They have a a history of talking a lot about the way that they do business um, and the way they imagine people ought to operate companies and have seen themselves as a model. um, Silicon Valley company, but they've made some some institutional changes, and one of the tenets of this change, and perhaps the most controversial, was the first thing listed on the letter, which is, and I quote, "No more societal and political discussions on our company base camp account. Um, and it seemed to suggest, as a rule, banning internal conversations about politics because they saw it as a major distraction, quote unquote, um, for mm-hmm. their employees taking them off mission. Um, they also limited part of uh, paternalistic benefits, like say gym memberships. Um, and they got rid of committees and, uh, made some changes with respect to things like their diversity, equity, and inclusion training, which apparently there had been a committee doing before. And now it's just going to be a part of HR. And the end result of this, and I have not actually checked recently, was that almost immediately nearly a third of base camp workers ended up resigning. As a result of this new perfect. policy change, which, you know, one might say perfect, that's but that's actually a pretty big deal to have many of your people leave at yeah. once. And it's, it's enough, sure. it's enough of a thing to have happen that it could one spell total death for your company in the long run. If you can't attract new talent, if your, your company is just viewed as generally toxic, um, Basecamp has a couple of things going for it because the software that they provide is like this, you know, app, it's an application service provider. So It's not like it requires a bunch of development in order to make it work every single month. And they've got this revenue uh, on contracts from customers who are just paying every single month for access to the service. But again, bad publicity. Maybe people move away. Uh, Maybe it's hard to move away right away, but who's to say what happens in a couple of months? And this is also not over. Basecamp has extended indefinitely, it seems, um, a policy of allowing people to leave the company and take uh, rather generous departure packages if they no longer want to be there because of these changes in policy. And that's that is one thing that we could discuss and I'd be happy to. But I, <laughs> I'm also interested in some developments <laughs> with China. There's some escalating tensions there, particularly between China and Australia, but really between China and like everybody. I also, and Matt, you'd flagged this in one of our earlier discussions, I think it's very worth talking about both uh, Liz Cheney. Um And the Biden administration, who seems to have some, you know, interesting ideas about uh, disinformation and uh, a coalition of folks who are calling on the Biden administration to form a quote unquote disinformation task force, which I think, you know, why not just turn it into a government agency, maybe house it in the Department of Homeland Security, call it the Ministry of Truth. <laughs> and that could probably <laughs> be a, a good idea. I mean, it has a nice <laughs> ring to it, See familiar no ring to it No.
2: No problems developing any of these things, but you'd also add uh, the Facebook decision. Oh Trump yes, was talking about this a lot of tech going on today, nearly right? Nearly forgot about Basecamp, that. Yeah, I mean that's... ministries of truth of what we can keep off of Facebook. Um, uh, you know the base camp thing. I have to say the one thing that struck me when I first read that, and we don't have to talk about this uh, too much because it should be apparent to anyone that a company um is not only within their right, is in- entirely sensible to say um we don't want contentious political issues. Uh, taking up a lot of oxygen in the company that has nothing to do with contentious political issues. We got, we have a soft, software called Basecamp where people can like say, hey, let's do a meeting. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you want, you, if you want to do a
3: meeting about can like, you give me 15 seconds and what the fuck Basecamp is.
2: Ba- Basecamp came from like so when you go to that like Google thing where it has Google Docs mm-hmm. and Google, it's basically like that. There's a number of different things that you can do yeah. I mean, it's for a, companies it's to manage time, software, to manage project management. Yeah, thing, yeah. so you can do communications so with one nothing. another. You
0: can manage tasks. Yeah. You can share them amongst yourselves. There's a document I mean, repository. It's kind of
3: funny. Yeah. It's kind of funny that a company that yeah.
2: does tools for <laughs> company communication to enhance yeah. your productivity, yeah. Yeah. I- time management. <laughs> yes. To like, you know, here's the, here's the thing we found with our time management <laughs> is that you're too busy uh, trading things about the new Jim Crow book that you just um, Jim, Jim Eagle.
3: Jim yeah, Eagle.
2: Jim Eagle book. But, yeah, but the thing about it is, like, the first thing I thought is, like, a third of the people said, screw it, I can't work here uh, at this point probably very high paying tech job because mm-hmm. they won't let me talk about white privilege or something. It's like I think it's white privilege to be able to walk away from a job because you can't talk about in politics. In the midst of a pandemic that's some amazing <laughs> that's some amazing privilege yeah, right there. It's not white it's privilege. It's like, I don't it's just I don't need large. a job. Yeah. Is this great it's country privilege. or what? Yeah, it's, I mean greatest country. You can leave, not talk about politics <laughs> lots of money in that. It. It's like, what are you doing? Seriously? But yeah, that is that is completely uh, uh bonkers and it was I think Camille you pointed it out Uh, the other day, maybe on our text thread, that the guy who had been there since 2003, which is, you know, there's dog years in uh, tech companies like this. That is, you know, two lifetimes. uh, Who was forced to uh, resign or take a little break or something like that? Because he had, I I think he had done the thing that that always gets people in trouble. Maybe he said something about white supremacy. Well, he 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 expressed skepticism
0: that Basecamp itself was a haven for like white supremacy, which is not to say that he expressed skepticism that white supremacy is a thing at all, which he would have been completely within his rights to do, so far as I'm concerned. But he expressed skepticism about this and apparently was under investigation as a result of this (laughs) by the company and then decided to resign. <laughs> can he's, we? Can is we
2: investigate? A, this is, <laughs> hes already—he's already, company, he's already guilty. It. Yeah, not I necessary. have a thing on Basecamp that you can log into <laughs> that has all your. Isn't it, by the way, acknowledging that you're basically acknowledging that your country, your company is full a den of viper's nest of white yes. supremacists? Well, yeah, when you say like, principle. we yeah. have to fire you because you questioned whether or not this company was white supremacist. Yeah. What kind of backwards fucking world are we living in? That is so bizarre. Yeah. It's like, clearly we are white supremacists. Yeah. So you, just by you asking that question. You hear your walking papers. I utterly think, mad. I
3: think I know nothing about this, and so I will speculate. <laughs> I love. I love
0: when you preface your comments that
2: yeah. way. Matt,
3: uh, which is <laughs> it's better
2: when you've been drinking Look, and
3: you slur. I don't know about this story. <laughs> I, I, I never slur. Yeah, I don't know what you people are talking about. Um, uh, no, I, having worked in an industry that was doing nothing but buyouts and layoffs for a thousand years, which is newspapers, um. If you were a newspaper, this is what you would do. This is totally yeah. how you'd run it. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, look, you know, um, just going to change the culture here. If you don't feel comfortable, uh, we're going to do these. Uh, you know, it, it's fine. You know, if, if you don't like the new system, you can yeah. show yourself out the door. You can like reduce your workforce by a third overnight. Totally. Totally. And it's going to be people
2: you don't want to keep anyway. Mm-hmm. Do, do you believe that your boss is a neo-Nazi? No, no, he's great. You are fired. He is a neo-Nazi. He wrong answer. With me. You've wrong You've been answer. working in a white supremacist company for thirty years. Yeah. We hate the
0: Negro. Yeah. We <laughs> let it be known. But I've been
2: working at the Anti-Defamation League. It's like yes, that's
0: right. That's what's so
2: <laughs> cruel about it. Uh, I, here, I'll, I'll
0: say this. Um, and and there's plenty that could be said, but the truth is there's. So much that we don't know about what has actually transpired here, despite the reporting that we've seen um, on the circumstance. Yeah. The reporting has come despite from our
3: good reporting. Here. Well, always, well, the always reporting true, the yeah.
0: reporting that has has been happening about Basecamp, and certainly the folks who seem to be talking, aren't representing the interests of the company itself. I haven't seen much in the way of a. But a formal defense since this became kind of a complete scandal. They're not going to defend themselves. Well, I think they, I think at some point they probably will. Um, and I mean, I think there, there's a couple of things. One, we saw something like this play out with Coinbase. The effect there was not nearly so dramatic. It was a bigger (laughs) company, but certainly didn't see so large a departure, but it was a pretty big departure. Also with Basecamp, we saw significant national coverage, and that national coverage was sustained over an extended period of time. There were features in the New York Times um, uh, involving like former uh, employees of the company talking about how they'd been mistreated or felt like they'd been mistreated on account of their race or their particular interests. Um, but the thing about Basecamp is, I mean, I think one, it's just perhaps a more innovative company. There there might be some ability for them to make a pivot with respect to their culture, but the change with respect to their culture didn't really seem to be, uh, you can't talk about these kinds of things here anymore. This is disruptive. It seemed to be led primarily by, to the extent we're having conversations here, the, the real question is how do we make the inevitable disputes that arise amongst colleagues of various backgrounds and interests, things that we can actually navigate in a productive way. And I think to say that you want to change the culture is very good. To mandate that y'all ain't allowed to talk about that kind of stuff here, you're trying to purify the cathedral in a way that I think is probably not a great look. It's far better to try to cultivate a culture that actually gives you the tools to navigate what is necessarily going to be the case. You have a bunch of people working together. They're going to disagree on things. They have different points of view. That's that's kind of why you hired some of them in many instances. How do you do that in good faith? How do you do that in a way that doesn't disrupt all productivity and drive the company into a gutter and put you in a position where in the space of a day, a third of the company is taking buyouts and leaving?
2: But to your point, to your point, we, of, of course, we don't know, um, the situation. But if it is, uh, I mean, that kind of baseline we actually have to know is like, if it's getting very disruptive, that, and I think that, that just the whole premise, mm-hmm. not that people are cutting off political conversation and a third of people are leaving. The, the premise of their move, internal move, is a, is a great reflection of how rotten the state of of sort of political interaction has become in this country, mm-hmm. the fact that you know that if there's somebody that, say, you know, uh, thinks that the Derek Chauvin verdict wasn't quite right, if they said something like that, right? That that is something that, you know, a lot of employees of a, I would say probably of a certain vintage, uh, a very young vintage, uh, can't handle, right? And it's going to be an explosion, Right is there have we come to a place and i think that's a real indictment of the political culture that we've fostered amongst young people that we can't actually have interactions in which people disagree and that their their you know just honest genuine different differences of opinion are reframed you know as either bad faith or some sort of racist defect in them so rather like than just I having a different that, set of values
3: so like when i say that oj is innocent
2: I mean, you don't get any argument from me. He's innocent of almost every charge except for stealing his own stuff back. That he should have gone to jail for. The other stuff he's totally innocent of. Oh, God. And you know how I know that? A jury in California told me. Um,
0: they never get yeah, things like wrong. I think
2: that's really a bad uh, moment, right? I mean, like, if, yeah. if if that's taking up a lot of people's time, because these people cannot handle— disagreement and they start like hyperventilating and going to HR, this person, you know, in this other department said this thing about this political issue. And I want to talk to you, but it's like, you know, in a normal world, which would probably make the New York times now, the HR person would say, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, honestly, do you have a mental disorder? I mean, somebody disagreed with you, go back to your fucking desk and shut your mouth. If you want to engage in debate, be able to engage in debate. If you don't want to, then don't. If someone's forcing debate upon you, then you can come to me and say, this person won't stop bothering me. And that's a sort of personnel issue that we'd have to deal with. But otherwise, it's like, guys, people disagreeing with you is not something that HR should be concerned with. And it's the same thing, like your time If your time is spent doing that, I I don't have a problem if the company says, you know what? You guys are playing too many video games on work time. To me, politics are video games. It's the same fucking thing. It's of no importance to what the job they are doing demands.
3: Uh, Little tip here for people who consume slack at work, which is a fair number of us, but also who like use Twitter, which is also a fair number Mm -hmm. of us. The mute buttons on these uh, programs, machines, whatever. I don't really understand what they are, um, uh, are uh, totally underused. You can mute the conversation in Slack mm-hmm. and you will never see it again. Mm-hmm. There won't be a little ding. Nothing will happen again. When people are annoying you at your work because they can't stop talking about dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, even though dude is a douchebag and I want to talk about dude forever because what a Anyways,
2: yeah. um, you can <laughs> – You're talking about someone who's specifically, Yeah, and you? can. <laughs>
3: <laughs> your brain conjured up the image, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, um, exactly.
2: Uh, and then I looked and he's on the screen right there. <laughs> it's, Camille oh, it's Camille Foster.
3: Camille <laughs> Foster. Never
2: happened. You can happened. Just mute it. Never and happened.
3: same thing on, on Twitter. Like uh, you can mute an individual and you'll never see them mm-hmm. again. Or you can mute a conversation where people are being like dickwads. Mm-hmm. You can just mute that thing. Or –
2: you can just not read your mentions at all. That's just <laughs> what true. I do, or <laughs> because can, it doesn't make me feel good about. You myself. can limit
3: your uh, your notifications for people who uh, you follow, and that will like that's what Katie Herzog does, and like it yeah. changes things overnight. You don't have to be distracted.
2: I can roll this adult. into the important question of the day that I was talking about, which yeah. which is uh, Facebook, because um, the transition here is pretty obvious. <laughs> Is that I don't tweet very much anymore. I used to tweet a lot, a lot. I was always tweeting. You tweeted today, Joanne Reed. I, 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 oh, I not at her, but uh, if she, I hope well, she, she was because, tagged on that. So, oh, was she? Yeah. Oh, good, good, <laughs> good, good, because I used to know her a little bit, and and I just I find uh, her uh, the new personality kind of it's repugnant. Yeah. so there you go. Um, and I don't. I that's that's what the kids. And who don't know anything about comedy, who talk about comedy, they say it's punching up. She makes a lot more money than I do, and she's on TV all the time, and she probably gets like two million dollars a year or something. So, I'm punching up. So, but what I normally do is just don't tweet mm-hmm. at all. So my, my the frequency of tweeting is fairly low because I find that it's bad for my mental health, and I don't know why other people don't recognize that it's bad for their mental health because it's on display. I mean, you can see people <laughs> having fucking meltdowns on Twitter. And I'm like, you need to step away, and that's not that hard of a thing to do, particularly if you have kids, if you have hobbies, if you have other things to direct your attention to which brings us to the facebook thing uh, donald yes. trump and the the uh, council of uh, <laughs> european elders of like former <laughs> danish parliamentarians <laughs> who are now saying that no, donald trump should not be on the twitter it's this stuff is mad but the thing about it is is that i i know that this is something that when you say it is like well yeah obviously but sometimes the obvious things bear repeating you don't have to be on facebook you don't have to be on Twitter. Your life will actually be profoundly richer if you're off of both of them. And maybe you use them to keep in touch with some prick from high school that, you know, you hated then and you're probably going to hate now when you interact with them. I don't understand that people believe to this point of, you know, it should be a regulated utility. Uh, utilities are necessary. Right. I I don't have any other way of AT&T back in the Ma Bell days of calling someone. It is a utility. I can I have a million ways of contacting people, various apps, various platforms and that basic thing always bears repeating because people say well yeah that's obvious but it, no it is obvious but it, it bears repeating because this is an opt-in thing just get off of Facebook right you don't if you want to hear Donald Trump Donald Trump started a new website yesterday mm-hmm. he's right? blogging he's blogging so Donald Trump who by the way can get his voice out there because he was the fucking president guys do you remember that that was nuts he was the president so people were like oh yeah I'm going to look at his blog okay the guy's talking and he's on his friggin' blog and he's going to sp- spread his stupid poison somewhere else. Uh, uh, why? So they the people can't trade it as fast as they could before. And now all of a sudden we're going to be, you know, free of uh, disinformation. Why are we fighting this? Why are we fighting this in a way that involves, you know, regulatory regimes, governments, people being kicked off of things, et cetera, I don't really care at the end of the day, but this is not a solution to anything. You know, quote unquote disinformation misinformation um is not going away and the internet is a great facilitator of it and the internet's not going away. So it'll just find another place to do it and it's if it goes underground and it gets more virulent, exactly. So there's there's a couple of things going
0: on here that we should we should wrap our hands around specifically. The first is as you mentioned one hand the Donald Trump had previously banned from Facebook and Twitter and a couple of other platforms, if not mistaken, all related to the events of January 6th, the day that will live in infamy, the gravest attack on American democracy since the Civil War, according to Joe Biden, um, an insurrection, actually, uh, (laughs) according to Joe Biden. We can deal with that at some point as well. Um, And as a result of that, he was banned from these platforms. And Facebook's oversight board, which is a, an independent organization that Facebook has, has assembled.
2: So they don't have to make the decisions themselves? You know, look, you,
0: you're <laughs> yeah. going to have, you know, a, a group internally that is perhaps making these decisions, or you get an oversight board to help with these decisions. And I, I can actually understand
2: Or you that. beg the government to regulate it. You. And- or you do both,
0: um, which Facebook is kind of doing. Yeah. Um, and the oversight board made a decision to uphold the previous ban, although they have decided that they will review this again in six months. And there are, in fact, people who are calling for this to become a permanent ban. Um, these are people who are in the, in the media in some instances because there is a sense that Donald Trump is a grave threat to the Republic because Donald Trump continues to suggest that the most recent election was in some way fraudulent and that he was robbed and that the American people have been think, misled. I don't think it says some way. Um, <laughs> I don't <so>, think <laughs> the qualifier the, the, is The post the, that I saw from Donald guessing. Trump on May 3rd Donald Trump says the fraudulent presidential election of 2020 will be, from this day forth, known as the big lie in all capital letters. (laughs) This is Donald Trump attempting to co-opt a popular me some way. Uh, (laughs) Um, this, this This particular post is sort of indicative of the concerns that the folks at Facebook have. And... There's a couple of different things we could talk about. One of the developments that you flagged, actually, Matt, when we were talking about this a little bit earlier, was that a number of libertarian uh, legal scholars, luminaries, um, and I I should perhaps say libertarian, put an asterisk there, say small L libertarian in brackets, um, are saying that maybe it's time for there to be a a change in disposition when it comes to common carrier laws, the, the regime that governs Um, how these companies are allowed to operate because social media companies are so very indispensable.
2: Camille, explain what a common carrier is for people who don't know.
0: So FedEx cannot make a decision to no longer deliver mail of a particular organization on account of their believing that they have like the worst kind of ideas in much the same way the phone company can't make a decision to no longer service you because of these things. And the thinking here is that in a very real sense, social media platforms, Google, um, Twitter, etc., are fundamental to the way that people communicate with one another. And as a result, there should not be an ability um, for private companies to make restrictions um, on who can leverage these services. That that needs to be decided by some sort of federal. Overseer. Um, I believe, Matt, the way that this was put by Eugene Volokh, who uh, writes over it at, at Reason. I guess the Volokh conspiracy is there, but this is kind of a, Volokh is interesting. I don't know if that's some kind of like independent vertical at Reason.
3: It's existed forever. We brought them into the fold like two, three years ago. Yeah, it was independent, the then it was at Post, the
0: Washington Post, yeah. and then it came over to oh, Reason, yes, yeah. right? But he, yeah. he posits this question in his headline, what rules should govern how Americans speak with other Americans? And he says, one, American law, two, rules set by large corporations, or three, international law. Um, And he goes on to suggest that he thinks one is probably the best option and nods at the fact that many libertarians would have historically been more comfortable with two, um, but suggests that perhaps we need uh, to to have a a sort of change of perspective on this. So it might be useful to, to kind of talk about all of this stuff from that vantage point? Because I'm, I'm interested in, in your takes. I certainly have my own views on this and whether or not it's time for me to recalibrate my perspective on whether or not companies ought to be able to make decisions like this for themselves, whether or not Facebook is doing the right or wrong thing here, but also on the, the gravity of the threat with respect to Donald Trump and his continued proliferation of misinformation related to the election.
3: So I would commend people to rewind 10 minutes and just go to Moynihan's super quick, like, this ain't a common carrier situation explanation, which is important. And I think it cleans things out. Uh, Camille is referencing Eugene Volok, who's a, a friend, a longtime friend, um, and who is among the best First Amendment scholars in the country and Second Amendment scholars. And uh, he's not alone in talking about this. Richard Epstein, um, who's an amazing constitutional scholar, was talking about this in a a January Washington Post uh, Q&A, making the common carrier argument that we should regulate uh, social media. And also Randy Barnett, um, who is arguably the most influential uh, libertarian legal theorist of the of the last 20 years, he was arguing uh, Gonzalez versus Raich, I believe. In front of the Supreme Court, lost that, but kind of like planted the seeds for winning in the future um, uh, in terms of Commerce Clause stuff. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant guy. So I don't want to argue with these guys I do. because they're so much smarter than me, but they're wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll say uh, quickly that I think that – and just reiterating where I think most of us have been, certainly me um, – I think it's bad that social media companies banned Donald Trump. I think it's dumb Separate and issues. stupid. Yeah, totally. And and that actually, and especially the coordination of it that happened around the uh, January 6th. Um
0: minimize, the seeming coordination The seeming coordination because um, we don't no, we don't know I mean, that they like, were talking explicitly, right?
3: right? Um yes, so the timing coordination, right. let's say, um uh, uh, rather than planning, but like it was amazing how quickly all that went down. Um and uh, I take January sixth seriously. I think it was a terrible, terrible thing. I think uh, Trump and his on uh, discussion. Yeah, I did.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
3: you did. You you mock you mock other people's descriptions of it. That's kind of my I like
0: Joe Biden's hyperbole about it.
1: All
3: right.
2: Camille, you celebrate it. <laughs> <laughs> you sent me a text that said I cannot believe I wasn't there yeah. I wish I was there where's the bear spray I'm getting the bear yeah. spray yeah. oh like the yeah. bear spray bear foster yeah. No, I mean, if terrible. you
0: if you call it if you want to call it a deadly insurrection and the worst domestic incident, the gravest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. If you're ridiculous.
3: Uh, if <laughs> we're gonna crazy. Go, If we're going to go fuck <laughs> off, you're ridiculous about political hyperbole. We've got an entire field today yes. of people reacting to. To Donald Trump at Facebook. We have mm-hmm. uh, Tom Cotton saying this is yeah, Orwellian. Yeah. We have Candace Owens saying so this is fascist. fascist.
2: Yeah, which for some reason she capitalized. That's um, what offended me most. I, I, <laughs> I said, why are you capitalizing? Why not phalangist? <laughs> yeah. let's, let's just yeah. do it. Yeah. Um,
3: you have all of these people <laughs> she know. She know like going on Twitter to say that, that it's totalitarian what Facebook just did. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not – no seeing how things work and you're also uh, having a a pretty short-term memory about how technology companies operate we talked about on the patreon last night which all of you have listened to who subscribe to patreon those people who do also um, have all kinds of insider information about our live show in miami Mm -hmm. so that's a really (laughs) smart thing for you to
0: do uh, if you're facing, make sure you buy show. your
2: scalp tickets from somebody <laughs> who subscribes to Patreon. You cheap fuckers. Exactly. I mean, it,
0: don't be shocked because the tickets are going to cost you. I mean, they're going to cost a lot because it's a small venue. You
2: ain't on I mean, it's really Patreon. So much more that is <laughs> going to be saying. a two hundred dollar ticket for you, <laughs> my friend. Two hundred. Two hundred. Two hundred. Price going up. You are a price $10 going, huh? patron. You got a different price, <laughs> motherfucker.
3: My, my worry with my dear and sm- much smarter than me libertarian friends is that uh, they're gazing upon a universe in which, broadly speaking, people who are politically allied with them are uh, getting the lash mm-hmm. um, when it comes to sudden common uh activities of social media companies. Um hmm. the the you know don't call it the awakening, but call it like whatever you want to do about like the preponderance of certain political activities. This is the reason why Basecamp had to go through this, this is a stupid, you know, app company that does whatever. Um, like, <laughs> like you don't think that what they're talking about is a bunch of people talking about how it's really important to uh you know minimize the death tax no it was all right. going in one direction and that direction yeah. was not a republican direction and so there's this sense and it's a real sense and we've seen it with the 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 backlash the corporate backlash to the Georgia election law and you know the major league uh, baseball all-star game and all this kind of stuff like the culture is all going in one political direction and so when you feel like that or when you see your allies being targeted of that Um, It's understandable that you say, hey, wait, we might be in some new place. And granted, technology takes us to new places that we weren't before. And it's worth being humble in the face of that. Um, But it's also worth reminding yourself, as Moynihan did at the top, smartly and correctly, is that like this isn't a service that we can't get
2: otherwise. That's what common carrier means. The one thing that the example of this that is actually the most troubling, and it's not the Facebook Donald Trump thing, particularly when you're, you're quote unquote, silencing the president who has, a rather large megaphone in various other outlets and particularly with like Fox news and OAN. And I mean, if the guy says mm-hmm. something, they're going to carry it. He's going to do the phone and interview I mean, they're, they are desperate to get him on TV and I'm sure a lot of other people too, if like CNN got that offer, they'd put they him on TV on, too. Come on. He come on this. I mean, and, and we got a lot of listeners so he can come on and would have a lot more if Donald Trump came on. But um, the thing that was the most troubling was not that uh it was actually the parlor thing because parlor was the was the thing and i've never That's used great. parlor i don't know if it's uh i know gab is the real nazi one i don't know anything about mm-hmm. parlor cuz i mean fap it. Is FAP something? is the one that yeah. uh, Camille and I started. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's what made us uh, both our first million. Um, we divided it, and here we are. Uh, the Fapping. So this, this. Uh, uh, so I know nothing about Parlor, but I know that it's, you know the mm-hmm. kind of conservative alternative. I know Gab is the. the I hear
0: that it's a den of
2: perversion and I'm racism sure. and iniquity.
0: You, who, who,
2: you know, it probably is. Who fucking knows? But the reason I don't know is because it's no longer on and I can no longer check. So I would love to go check it's it out. It's back now, right? It's there's, back a new, now. there's a new there's a new parlor it's now. Back now. Yeah. But essentially what happens there is um you know the, the, as you were saying the timing of it, you know, I think Camille's right there's probably no actual collusion and coordination in the sense that they're calling each other and doing this, but the political winds and the social winds and the cultural winds are all going in one direction and it ultimately lands what Google's going to take it off the Play Store. Uh, Apple's going to take it off of, uh, the app store. And then the worst is that, you know, the AWS, the Amazon's, you know, uh, uh cloud service and the web service, they said, we're not going to host you. And basically this guy comes on and I don't know how much truth there is to this. It seemed like it was true that it was built in such a way that it was specific to the way that like the AWS hosting was, was allowing it to host. So, you know, beyond the technical stuff there, they're basically taken offline. They're no longer. So about four, three or four years ago, three years ago, I did one of my favorite interviews for the Vice News Tonight show on HBO, which was uh, with the, the CEO of Cloudflare. And we had a real good Mm -hmm. punch up and he's a real nice guy and a real smart guy, but he was really on the fence about this because they basically what Cloudflare does is they provide DDoS protection, denial of service protection for various websites and they say we do not discriminate, but they decided one day to discriminate and it was against, um, a, a website that does nothing but discriminate, which is Stormfront, which is a neo-Nazi mm-hmm. website. And they decided to take that uh, protection away from them, and they went down immediately. Stormfront mm-hmm. went around hunting, and they ended up in Russia, and everyone was like, oh, see, there is the collusion. And it's like, now nah, the Russians just don't <laughs> give a fuck. And they were looking for <laughs> web servers, et cetera. But it, it took them offline for a while. So I asked the guy, like, you, will you host ISIS videos? And he's like, well, yeah, we there's stuff. that." And I was like, but you won't host this. And he's like, no. And he's like, well, you know, I just felt like I got up. And he said to me, which I thought was Uh a really interesting thing. And it made the interview interesting. He said, you know, it is a problem that I got up in the morning and I said, these guys shouldn't be on the internet. And they disappeared from the internet. And I did that. That one man. So that stuff is really, really troubling. And when you say that- Did he snap
3: his fingers? No, he did
2: Clap twice. They know that, and they just pull the plugs. There's actually (laughs) plugs in the wall, like those old telephone things in the old movies. I took the plug out, and it was gone. But this is the thing that that is more troubling, is that when there is that kind of wide-scale, non-collusion collusion, where everyone says yeah well they 're doing it they 're doing it i 'm just going to not host them, and then these people, which would otherwise be the alternative, so there 's no common carrier, go to parlor, but what if they make parlor not exist? What if yeah. parlor and you know I know Glenn Greenwald our uh, our pal who 's been on the show a couple of times, uh, mm-hmm. point, points out you know like it 's not you know you can 't just go and start another you know, massive web hosting company, massive social media platform. It's very, very complicated, time consuming, expensive, et cetera. It's not like, you know, making another little newspaper in your basement and then it grows and grows and grows. So I get those, those, uh, concerns, but at the point we're at now, those people who were trying to have their voice heard on Twitter and they were getting banned, um, you know, found other avenues, they're on like right. so. For instance, after the election, I was tasked and tasked myself for a, a project to go and see what the QAnon people were saying, just out of interest. They were on Telegram. You know, oh, it's Russian, owned by a Russian, scary. But so when I, they're all on Telegram. Those Telegram groups are kind of unwieldy. They're right. you know, difficult to navigate in so many ways, but they exist and they're not hard to find. It yeah. took me a couple of clicks and they don't totally disappear. The sense right. also in the, the, the Hunter Biden one, that's really troubling, but these are two separate issues. Twitter has the right to say, you know, we don't want to publish, uh, you know, or link to this New York Post story about Hunter Biden which was true, right? Turned out to be true. And I think we kind of knew at the time it was true. And then there's all these stories afterwards that make them look like hypocrites that they, you know, post with no penalty. And as Alexei Navalny pointed out about Donald Trump being pulled off of uh, Twitter before he was arrested and imprisoned and on hunger strike and on death's door, he said, you know, the ridiculous thing about this is I'm on Twitter and I have death threats from the state every day from people who are Mm -hmm. like, you know, adjacent to the state. We know their state actors. We know their FSB Mm -hmm. cutouts in Twitter does nothing. nothing. And so when that happens, And it's sort of, you know, the application is, you know, the uneven application of this people start getting suspicious that, you know, this divide, this chasm that pushes up into our corners of like MSNBC and Fox is now that's happening more and more on social media because these people feel alienated and they're going to their own corners. That's what's going to happen. It's not going to be that people don't have a voice anymore. They might have a different voice in a smaller tribune, but it's it's not going away.
0: Yeah. Well, I do want to have a conversation with, with the likes of, you know, Randy Barnett or Eugene Bollock about this at some point. I mean, it, it does seem to me, and to the extent we do have that conversation or when we do in fact have that conversation, I think the starting point for me is to say, okay, I, I get that this may be some sort of unique problem, at least in some respects, and that companies like Google have an insurmountable moat. And I I would be using air quotes, you know, but you can't see me. um. <laughs> Because Google can do all this indexing, they've built this particular algorithm, but whatever. Let's say that that's the case. The proposition that you know we're dealing with a circumstance where you only have to choose between a regime where the government controls things or some sort of international law controls things, domestic powers control things, or international law controls things, or corporations control things. I mean, these are materially different things. I think mm-hmm. the proposition itself is flawed. Like the, the international law and domestic governments, like these are people who effectively have firearms trained at your head, and they get to tell you what to do in a way that is incontrovertible. To the extent you don't do what they say, at some point they may come get you with men who have guns and put you in a cage. Um, if a corporation has particular policies and decides that they don't want you to be able to use their services, even if they call their friends and say, hey, don't yet let that asshole use your services... There are generally always I'll say ways to get around that. Mm-hmm. And just there there are. Like every person who's been canceled from the internet in the way that we talk about it now is still on the internet mm-hmm. in some capacity <laughs> yeah, publishing things. Yeah. All of them. Yes. And my suspicion is that there will be more ways for them to be able to do this going into the future. Not less. China has their great firewall and it is rife with defects. There are so many ways yeah, to get sure. through it, exactly. and and there is an arms race. And quite frankly, I don't think that the 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 advantage goes to the state in this particular case. I think the advantage lies elsewhere, and that seems really important. And I am perfectly fine with a circumstance where we don't create a quote unquote protection regime, um, and that's you know a, a quote unquote in the sense that it's not necessarily protecting you where the government says, hey, everyone has open access to these services. Um, I think in the public sphere, we're limited to using norms to indirectly moderate speech, right? Like there are certain things, like if Twitter, whether or not it was legal, if Twitter was allowing people to publish like child pornography, to choose a completely horrible, absurd example that illustrates the point, I would stop using Twitter. Yeah, of course. And I suspect most of you would as well. Yeah, of course. And that's a good way to moderate speech in the public sphere, because anything else, if we were using something that wasn't already illegal, is a form of censorship or compelled speech. And I would prefer that the government weren't doing
2: that with these social platforms. Twitter, by the way, does allow pornography um where well, not child pornography. No, either. but they allow pornography, which is actually yeah. pretty distinct from uh Facebook and Instagram sure. where you know they do the free the nipple thing on on Instagram and you know it, it, Twitter does you can do like hardcore porn on Twitter and they won't take the stuff down. Mm-hmm. Uh one small thing that's it's not it's not a parallel but because mm-hmm. you know no one you know the idea of MSNBC is not that everyone can get on it, right? They have their thing. Right. But it's a it, it, you know it's a company that, you know, gives people what they believe to be knowledge. It gives them news. And this is what people are scared about Donald Trump doing. He's giving us fake news. We have to get him off of this platform, et cetera. I mean, MSNBC is a very different animal, right? Cause you're not just, mm-hmm. not anybody can open an MSNBC account and be on. But you know, we, I mentioned Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi and guys like this who are regular guests before. And then this private company said, we don't want the type of information that they are giving out to be given to our consumers. So we are going to prevent them from doing it. It is not. And you say, well, it's a different thing. Well, yes, it is a different thing. But they also have a user and, you know, a policy that one cannot, you know, uh, you know you know, violate, I suppose, is what, what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. is you wouldn't violate this policy, which is an unspoken, unwritten policy, which is actually worse, that you can come on and, you know, say certain things. They keep speech off their network that they don't want people to, you know, get these perspectives. Is it different than Twitter? Radically. But the instinct is pretty similar in some ways, you know, the, you know, I don't think at the end of the day that Mark Zuckerberg um, and uh what's his name? Jack Dorsey actually agree with this stuff. I think they're probably, and from what I've heard, more broad-minded than this, but they are actually responding to the kind of culture now, which is creating this stuff much less, you know, it's not the government's doing it so much. It is the culture, and they're just kind of following this and following their employees. And I think that if you ask Jack Dorsey, and I know people... That have, you know, relayed this to me and the same thing with Mark Zuckerberg, that they're mm-hmm. like, do nah, let it let it let, let it be the Wild West It's totally fine. Let's also
3: remember the uh, context is that uh, neither Twitter nor Facebook has grown uh in the united states that in, is that
0: in, is a really important point yeah. Years. yeah
3: and so like yeah if you're market- very
0: odd to be having these conversations in that context because because some of this is like pr for facebook as it as it has been 100%. since the beginning of like the russian yeah. collusion thing yes. Yes. in fact the document that was released by the oversight board the opening words of it are facebook has become a virtually indispensable medium for political discourse uh, and especially so in elections no, it hasn't.
2: No, it hasn't. Prove that shit. The use of I virtually
3: there is pretty interesting.
2: We had an <laughs> argument this one time, Camille, and 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 you, uh, I backed down from this because you made a point that I think was uh, ultimately it was like yes, actually true. Because I, I was I was coming from Happens. a perspective of like somebody who in my friends and. I don't know young people and I'm not young, but I know, I know a lot of young people because I, I try to date them. Um, but I, (laughs) I, I, it's a a family show sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I say fuck a lot, but I don't say it in that context. Try to, you know, uh, journal knowledge or whatever. Oh my God. But I, but like nobody uses Facebook and uh, like Instagram is the thing. And it's like, and you pointed at the time it was like no, no, Facebook is actually still hugely important, you know places in Europe, for instance, older people, mm-hmm. et cetera. That is all true, but I think that it's like it's like the demographic decline in a way. I mean, I just don't sure. see i mean, there's a reason Facebook bought Instagram, and yes, you can say that they're the same thing um and owned by the same company, but it's a it's becoming more political, but it's not the same thing where you're sharing mm-hmm. posts from like your like shithead uncle." Who's like right. you know? Yeah. It was the Ch- Chinese and the Venezuelans that rigged the voting machines. It's not as easy to do that, so it's a very d- a different kind of platform in that sense. But this mm-hmm. stuff is going to change. We pointed out in in the past the the hilarious heavy breathing antitrusting about oh my god, everyone's going to be using Internet Explorer, and then of yeah. course Internet yeah. Explorer, which is a shitty piece of software, was overtaken you know first by Firefox and then by Chrome, and just mm-hmm. the natural evol- evolution of the internet. People tend to forget about it in this debate. They completely completely forgot that that. it's Forget just gonna that. be Absolutely. like this forever and AOL. it's probably aol exactly oh my, my god space. yeah, yeah. myspace friendster i've got a question which I'm still on.
3: uh camille before we, before <laughs> we are you i don't even know if it still uh, exists
2: before we leave the topic
3: <laughs> i agree with you camille but the uh mm-hmm. there's a devil's advocate argument or at least an, an argument that i want you to respond to which is that sure um it's uh it's like on the technical specs of it, this isn't the state enforcing anything. Um, this is just mm-hmm. private companies. This, you know, saying I don't want to take this customer who wants a cake that looks like this. Um, um, however, the culture is pre- predominantly going in this one single direction. Um, say Mm -hmm. a lot of conservatives in particular or Republicans in particular. So like it somehow makes it different. It's not just that um, uh, that individuals get targeted and booted off a platform and can find their own way. It's that um, everywhere you look in the culture, in the culture of Silicon Valley, in the culture of Hollywood, in the culture of politics and media, for the most part, these things that are just uh, mostly political disagreements are being treated as kind of dangerous national security threats and being pushed to the margins as unacceptable. And the preponderance of that is so much that, yeah, sure, on the technical merits of what you're talking about, Facebook kicking out Donald Trump or whatever, um, sure, there's a workaround. But my God, you're you're just focusing on the tree. And there's a whole forest around us, and it's bad.
2: You cannot yeah. see the I mean, forest and the trees. <laughs> that is the point that
0: <laughs> The cultural conflict yeah, yeah. Is, it matters. <laughs> and I, I am particularly worried where my own ideas are at stake. I think that there are far fewer people who believe that yes, you know, free speech deserves yeah. the sort of vociferous defense that I think it deserves. And plenty of people who believe that there are various areas where it shouldn't receive those protections because of, say, marginalized groups who are put in unique danger, for example. Um, But I know that the courts cannot create the kind of world that we hope to live in if the culture has completely rotted out. And there is an obligation to combat bad ideas and to promote your ideas in an effective way on the part of people who have particular values. And if you're losing that battle, focusing all your attention on the courts to say, for example, try to compel school systems to outlaw the, the teaching of particular things is probably the wrong fucking strategy because it won't stand. It is already the case that the Biden administration is having open conversations, they're exploring despite what Joe Biden said before, the possibility of adding more justices to the Supreme Court. If they're successful in that respect, then, you know, the possibility of using the courts to protect you from particular democratic outcomes when the culture is shifting It's probably a bad look. And quite frankly, I think the politicization, the full on politicization of the conversation around like critical race theory and cancel culture to the extent it has become now like a a fundamental issue on the right that they're going to fight against critical race theory and a fundamental issue on the right that they're going to fight against cancel culture. I mean, I don't know that that actually makes the odds of success for people who are concerned about those things. And I do hate the phrase cancel culture, as most of you know. I don't know that that actually improves the odds of success. I don't know that that makes the cultural messaging around that more resonant. And I do think that there are alternative strategies to the, oh my God, the Democrats are trying to destroy America. This is hate-filled anti-American propaganda. Mm -hmm. And the only way to confront it is by outlawing it." it. That's just, that's, that's probably a bad look honestly it's just a so, bad
2: idea too in almost yeah. every way and you know when you were saying that i was like i think you're talking about the 1619 stuff and and, and anybody who's listening to this podcast knows that i don't think anyone here thinks that's good history and no, we're it's,
0: deeply skeptical of that uh, it's
2: also not history. it's 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 something <laughs> yeah. that's orchestrated uh by a twitter troll who's not a historian and refuses <laughs> to debate the ideas which makes it uh, rather difficult to actually get into a back and forth of the people who are responsible for this, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we've talked about this uh, recently, and uh, on the Megyn Kelly podcast, I pointed out the time when you know conservatives responded to to what they believed was an overly liberal uh, schoolbook uh, uh, curriculum in Texas on on history by trying to rewrite it and just having a bunch of sort of really conservative. And that was an enormous, enormous pushback. And I think 2000, I can't, maybe it was 2000, maybe 2008, something like that. But there was, there was an enormous uh, kerfuffle about all this and said, you know, this is not, we don't need more of this from in the other direction. The the, the simple principle of this that we're talking about when it's Donald Trump being on Facebook or not. And again, this needs to be underscored. Don't conflate the two ideas. I believe that it's silly that Donald Trump was was thrown off Facebook. As um, you know, many like Angela Merkel thought it was was silly. Emmanuel Macron thought it was silly. You know, President Obrador in, in Mexico thought it was was silly. Um, these are not people that line up with Donald Trump's politics. You can have that belief and also think that the the you know regulation of this stuff is um, a bad idea and a regulation in the sense that they should be f- compelled or forced to allow Donald Trump on their platform. These are separate ideas, right? And, and like, it's very important to keep those things uh, separate. But the the same thing is, the response to this is all the same, is debate the ideas. We've lost that instinct of like, how do we prevent people from hearing this and replace it with our preferred narrative rather than let's put everything on the table and debate it. You know, there's, um, did we talk about the, the, um, the documentary about, uh, what's his name? The ACLU guy, uh, the fire, the fire made, yeah, uh, uh Ira, Glasser. Ira Glasser. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, we probably I mean, mentioned it.
2: Yeah. I mean, Ira Glasser is, is funny cause he's just like a, kind of like a a tough kid from Brooklyn. I mean, I think his Mm -hmm. father was like a garment worker or something, he didn't come from some illustrious family. And it it comes out when he's talking about speech because it's a basic concept. This stuff doesn't have to be intellectualized. It doesn't have to be sort of overcooked. It's just a very simple thing that nasty speech is not violence. Uh, nasty speech does, by the way, it doesn't often precipitate violence. There's a lot of nasty speech in the world. And, uh, it doesn't often follow by, you know, riots and things. Uh, but what you do with nasty speech is, you know, put it on display for everybody and and beat it up. Why is that a principle that, that we find so hard to, to hold these days? Because that is the case that all of this stuff, Donald Trump is out there and he says, you know, the election was stolen. When I was in Texas, I met one person. Um, we've edited this film that's coming out soon in a couple of weeks, actually. And the one person, and in the film, I say to the guy who's uh, a Texas uh, Austin University of Texas Austin College Republican, and he was the first person in the entire time was in Texas that unequivocally said he lost the election. Every single buddy, every single person I talked to was like, yeah, no, no, it's clearly stolen. It's clearly stolen. And there was this article of faith thing. And it was like, (laughs) Donald Trump literally could tell you anything on any platform and you're going to believe it. The rot here is not the social media platform that's not the problem here the fact that mm. these you know people that some of them aren't on facebook some of them are like like v- very much older and they're in their little republican groups we've been went to a bunch of these and they're fuming about this stuff because they can't imagine that this man who they love so much They have the pins and the hats, everything just like like totally, you know, decked out in Donald Trump stuff after he's lost the election. They can't imagine that this man that they hold to this incredibly high esteem and and put on this pedestal could have possibly lost. They can't imagine that anybody doesn't think like them. It's like the old fake apocryphal Pauline Keel quote about Richard Nixon. How did he lose? I didn't know anybody who voted against him. You know, it's like that's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that works in both ways. And these people are like this. It must be stolen. So where is the evidence? They don't need it. It's not as if Twitter, Facebook were perpetuating these theories that actually had fake bits of evidence. It was all faith-based, right? But periodically, yeah. it'd say something, well, there's an irregularity here, but somebody with a half-functioning brain would realize that that didn't make a sort of 8 million vote difference.
0: It wasn't a
3: super So this goes to the, event here. Go on.
2: Well, th- well, no, I was just going to
0: say this goes to the point of Liz Cheney's opinion piece yeah. Yeah. in the Washington Post, which I believe was published today, um, the title of which that the, the editors I imagine selected, but that Liz would probably agree with, is the GOP is at a turning point. History is watching us. The premise of the entire piece is that the Republican Party is quickly becoming the party of Trump, and specifically the party of Trump's quote-unquote big lie that he lost the election mm-hmm. due to the nefarious shenanigans of democrats who stole it from him mm-hmm. um, and that donald trump's continuation of this program of proliferating this lie and republicans seeming willingness to go along with this as a party mm-hmm. is a grave danger to the party and it needs to be focused on um Cheney's letter um I think in many respects like hits a lot of notes that seem right to me um in the sense that Donald Trump is like a bad dude
2: all of that is correct. <laughs> routinely that the yeah. party itself has been yeah. like
0: deeply corrupted um or at least exposed in some respects because of the way that it has not abided by any sort of principle here except whatever the leader says is what we now affirm mm-hmm. and <laughs> are going along with. 100%, yeah. It is very clear that the conservative movement is largely rudderless and doesn't have a personality bigger than Donald Trump's. And even after his defeat um, and the ignominy that he is sort of laboring under, the, the party itself still seems largely beholden to him. Of course, 100%. Um, what does, however, seem a bit odd to me, and I suspect there might be some room for us to debate this, is that while I agree with the spirit of Cheney's assessment here, I do wonder about the tone. And I wonder about the specific concern about Donald Trump and the sort of gravity of the awfulness of what he is doing when I know, and I know you gentlemen know, not only because I shared it with you earlier, but you know (laughs) that the previous person who lost the presidential election was like as late as what, 2019, making public statements on places like CBS News on a Sunday um, about the president of the United States being a quote unquote illegitimate president and him having knowingly participated in a plot to steal the election with the support of the Russians. Yes. like I, I think both of those things are loathsome. I think Donald Trump doing it and Hillary Clinton doing it is bad. I think it's objectionable and it does degrade trust in the system. But I wonder about the way that we're able to, because if you go back in time, like people reported on this and reporting on it wasn't breathless and it didn't say things in the headline like Hillary Clinton claims without evidence or, or, you know, the, 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 the end of the republic is upon us you know expect dangerous violent mobs to come and destroy the capital of the united states um, or to just end democracy altogether and granted you know the events of january 6th hadn't happened yet but it's also the case that a lot of the things that we've just seen happen you know over the course of the past year like a lot of the the paroxysms hadn't played out yet and it could be that there's just more concern about the state of the polity because there's so much obvious evidence that the polity is in really bad shape right
2: now oh well, hillary clinton also but it doesn't have much seems of a following. like but but <laughs> you know, it's like don't try like get me a burger and like a thousand I, yeah. do. I
3: don't remember the january 6th you know 2016 rally like uh, uh you know 100 yards is, is that from the white the, house is that
0: the is that the difference because i think most of the I conversation and the concern of, lot and lot of, consternation about this stuff preceded January. It preceded no, January There's a lot 6th. of areas
3: of obvious difference between Hillary Clinton's awful um, and and sporadic – but like it's not the same, Camille. It's just not. Well, let
0: me take it – It's not. I, I, well, I would, I would agree that it's not the same in the sense that two different people are saying it. I don't know that it isn't the same with respect to the nature of the claim that is being made, that in both instances you have prominent figures in their respective parties – who were at one point in time the standard bearers of their party. And Hillary Clinton has been a fixture of the party for how long now? Too long. And she is saying explicitly and openly that the system has been corrupted, that the person who was in office and has been in office for years now is illegitimate. And the party, like not not just like a couple people, but the whole of the party has been focused on taking him out of office, removing him from office via various processes, primarily because of a story, a narrative about him having stolen an election. And as I've said before, the thinking here isn't that both things are bad, so that that's a wash. It's that there is a kind of deep corruption there that's being ignored, and a sense in which I wonder about Liz Cheney's particular concern about Donald Trump, especially because I also think that there's at least some evidence that his influence on the party is kind of vestigial, and the specific concerns about him, like leading some sort of rebellion um, or inspiring people to participate in some sort of rebellion against the state, is probably overstated. Like Frank Luntz um, said in one in one recently reported piece that. He thinks that well, I'm just saying that he, among <laughs> no, others, has said that he th- he believes that Donald Trump's that there's evidence that Donald Trump's influence on the party does seem to be waning every single day. Frank Luntz, and, is, by the way, I mean, a maybe that's possible. Fraud. Maybe he's don't, not. Don't, he's, don't a, quote, he's a bullshit artist.
3: Don't quote Frank Luntz and and also like the evidence. <laughs> the evidence for Trump's power is Liz uh-huh. Cheney.
2: Yeah, it like is.
3: that 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 op-ed that she wrote that's published today, and we're recording this on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm is a farewell letter. She she will be bounced from leadership in the Republican Party, and she will Mm -hmm. be because she has insisted on saying that Donald Trump was wrong to say and to continue saying that the election was stolen in 2020 um, and that Republicans who um, parrot that line or who sit on their hands when they know that line is bullshit – are also wrong by being cowards. And but how that, many
0: Republicans are doing that now, actively? Like, is all of hasn't Kevin them hasn't? Well, no, but hasn't Kevin? And, and even when you say you said two things: one, parrot the line, and the other is like sit on their hands. And even yes. there, like, hasn't someone like Kevin McCarthy
3: backtracked said from publicly? His, yeah, backtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which she points out. Yeah, well,
0: this is, but this is, but this is the point. Like Kevin McCarthy is a Trump as Trumpian as it gets when it comes to Congress, with the exception of like maybe two or three people, like Marjorie Taylor Greene. No, there's there's and more. There's
2: more. I mean, he's, yeah, he's there, in leadership,
3: so I'm he just saying as occasionally takes a back. But keep in mind,
2: people. in backtracking, remember uh-huh. that there was a secret ballot uh, on censoring and and bouncing uh, uh, Frau Cheney before, and it was like what 160 people. On her side to 60 or so. Right now. So that's
0: degraded. The support is degraded.
2: Exactly. Well, I mean, when it's a secret ballot, like, let me just say what I really mean. But I mean, all of these people understand that Donald Trump has control of the party because Donald Trump's voters have control of the party. Yes. They're all afraid Mm -hmm. of Donald, Donald Trump's voters. And look, you can say things that I think are true. That everything that Liz Cheney says in her piece is right, in that maybe Liz Cheney's motives are that uh, that she, you know, doesn't like Donald Trump's sort of, you know, non neoconservative foreign policy, for instance, one of, one of a, a bunch <laughs> of other things. But I would say the big big difference is a bunch of differences with Hillary Clinton. But one of the things mm-hmm. about Hillary Clinton is that she is uh, shouting about this. You know, now, uh, yesterday, four years ago and forever. And the party has kind of left her behind, actually. I mean, her party, she's like going up and saying, Hey, Joe Biden, it's a really bad idea to get out of Afghanistan. She's like really mm-hmm. banging the drum and saying like the Democrats meeting the president and all of the president's handmaids are making a huge mistake here. Whereas the, the party, the Republican party is firmly in the control of 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 the Trump types whereas you know Joe Biden has you know definitely said I remember when he said before he's like well it's my party now during the debates uh, it's yeah, my party now, that. meaning, you know, that, yeah. that these AOC types doesn't matter. I'm the one who's the nominee. It's like, well, mm-hmm. that turned out not to be true. And he's, he's definitely, you know, in, in the thrall of those people rather than the Hillary Clinton type. So Hillary Clinton would be shouting about this stuff, but nobody really gives a shit about her anymore.
3: And also right. she, the, her, um, she kept mentioning this over or sporadically right after she lost and she was clearly like licking her wounds um, and saying awful things about a variety of people, like uh, saying that Tulsi Gabbard was a Russian agent, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, among other things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, um, that was not – the analog to Trump is not Hillary Clinton. It's Stacey Abrams. Yeah. Stacey Abrams is someone who was in a contested election who – to this day, people say that election is stolen from her and that, like they're excited about that cause. There's nobody I- left who's excited about the cause of Hillary losing to Donald Trump. They might, there might be some Russia investigation dead enders or whatever, but like no one actually yeah. thinks that the, the, the ballots were counted irregularly uh, in the 2016 yeah. election. It wasn't a thing. Donald Trump. Made this, uh, continued this being a thing forever. And Lin- Liz, uh, whatever the fuck her name is, there's so many L's with Cheney's. Mm-hmm. There's Lynn's, there's Liz, there's uh, there's Lyle Alzado. Enough Lyle. Larry, Didn't you say they Larry? all look alike? They all <laughs> yeah. look alike, just sort of blonde and unhappy. Um, sort of. And we uh, know blonde
0: is the color of white supremacy. Thank you um, for recognizing yeah. our pain.
3: Um, but, <laughs> but like they're... She's right in pointing out that this is the thing that you can't say in the modern national Republican Party, which is important to distinguish. Um, Per our discussion at the very top of my stupid stupid article, which is about state and local policies, Mm -hmm. um, there's a huge difference. We tend to think that all of politics is national. It just ain't. Um, But to the extent uh, to which it is national, she's right. Like it's Trump's party or it's the party that's scared, as, as Michael pointed out, of Trump's voters. And so anyone who sits there and says, yeah, dude, Biden won. And these election fraud uh, claims like the claims that Trump made after 2016, mind you, right? Yeah. There's three to five million illegal votes yeah. somehow. The, the only man who argued
2: that his own victory was a fraud um, <laughs> is
3: is crazy, stupid garbage and fucking knock it off. Um, you can't say that and be in a, in a leadership position in the Republican Party, and that is to the eternal shame of the Republican Party. It is saying that, like, oh, sh- come on,
0: I, you know, I might agree with you or I might not agree with you, but like, shh, you're gonna make. But the-, the leadership, but the leadership of the party is not openly endorsing Trumpian schemes and. Conspiracy
3: Dude, theories you can't about the say, election. You can't say Biden won the election and hold a leadership position. This is terrible. No, this is that's, objectively They said that, Matt Welch. No, but they have said that. Well. Ju- no, no, they have mean, they've said said backed they that She's being punished. yes yeah,
0: so, they, but they've, so, so here's the thing, right? This is odd because it feels, it almost feels like I'm defending them, but I'm not. You are. <laughs> I think, <laughs> are, no, you I'm you not. You are. You're defending Kevin not. McCarthy. Not. It's a great, no, I mean, I'm explicitly have fun not. With it, what I'm, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do here because for whatever reason, it seems like you people, have forgotten like what the past four years were like and how much of the last four years the entirety of the democratic party, the leadership, the rank and file, and virtually everyone who's voted democrat, like not only believed completely without evidence, as we say now, that the President of the United States had participated in a broad conspiracy to steal the election and had completely stolen it and was yeah, sort of governing the, the as the Manchurian completely candidate. Completely stolen like, it. They, is that, that rendering? Well, fine, not completely stolen it, but stolen it. What is what does that mean, completely or not completely? That no, he'd stolen the election. Right. This, this was that's, received that's your wisdom of, amongst many people, and it was and it was word, something that was a, produc- of a, of prosecuted as Democratic an impeachment.
3: Position? Is that he would stolen I'm, the election? I'm saying that. No, I'm it's... saying
0: that for the party for the party itself. They prosecuted an impeachment. It was openly said by many people in leadership for months and months that this was the case stolen. And it wasn't said it yes, and it wasn't said that this was a crisis of democracy. He was a Manchurian candidate. He was a traitor. Like it wasn't said that we were we were on the precipice of falling apart because people were promulgating these stories. To the extent we were at on at risk of falling apart, we were at risk of falling apart because the wrong person was in power. <laughs>
2: like well, Russian, I'm just saying stuff, that
0: there's something about that the, that 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 seems in inconsistent to me. The level of concern related to the fact that people were promulgating those Russian conspiracy theories versus the level of concern about Donald Trump continuing to make what is less than 120 character worth of comment about the election being a big lie. I mean, I think both things are bad. I think there's something odd about the fact that people, by and large, the media establishment didn't have concern about those promulgation of lies and and conspiracy, and that's whirlwind of it. And the prevailing one, which is a dark conspiracy, the gravest possible threat, and quite frankly, the basis for a broad domestic surveillance and kind of a, a misinformation- Initiative, um, or at least a a basis for trying to call for some misinformation initiative at the federal level to make certain that people aren't spreading lies on the internet. Like, there's something about that weird disparity that strikes me as like very disconcerting. I can
2: try. I'm gonna try to middle path here because I agree with both of you in in certain ways. Because I, I mean, I will say this that I, I mean. There the Russia thing wasn't made up out of whole cloth, because I think that that what you're saying, Camille, is true in a sense that there was a active, very, very vocal from, you know, the MSNBC crowd to like the sort of Louise Mensch types that had had taken the position that Donald Trump was an active asset of Russian intelligence or that he was, you know, actively colluding. And then there was the other kind of, you know, sort of middle ground was that something is fishy here and something Mm -hmm. is weird. And he gave them enough. like, whereas, and on the other end with the, the voting stuff, it's all fake. I mean, there's there's not, not a part of it that's, that's real. And, and this is not to, to underplay in any way, the Mm -hmm. massive abuses that, uh, that happened when you have people people like Carter Page and Maria Boutina and this overzealous hunt for like the what's going to be the risotto stone of this conspiracy but also recall mm-hmm. in the actual in the actual impeachment you agreed with the impeachment you agreed with it at the time and said that this was actually i would the, vote the second for, the second one actually uh, there were two. The, the first yeah that's <laughs> right sec- Wait, no the There's first one, one you said you agreed with the with the premise of the, impeachment. the, sec- the second one, the second, no, one right? i'm not sure the first, but, no the first one definitely yeah, the first one
0: no, the first one I never did. Uh, okay, well I will because
2: I, I remember a time when you said you would vote for impeachment yeah. at, on the first said, what on I, the Ukrainian one. On the on the Ukrainian one, that uh, was the second one. What's this? What was the first one?
0: The first, <laughs> the, fir- the, fir- the second the one, first been, one is the, the first one was was, was he jacking um, off on obstruction. Dress? The first one was obstruction of justice.
2: Oh, I thought in the collusion you meant investigation. Oh, okay. I thought you meant between yeah. that and the January
0: sixth yeah. one. What I, what I've said what I yeah. said about the first one was that. There is no evidence of like Russian collusion so far as I can tell. And even the fact that there's this like obstruction of justice charge, like he was obstructing to the extent he was obstructing justice. He was like getting himself in trouble for not having done a thing and for making sort of an an odd request in some other circumstances. Right, well, i it, recall sort of i that, like, recall looked, you thinking it was looked pretty really bad, bad
2: at the time the the, the yeah i, I
0: thought i thought it looked i thought it looked bad yeah. i thought it was in in aggressively poor taste but it didn't seem to me like a necessarily an impeachable offense but that said like i was fine with the impeachment proceeding as i said at the time make impeachment great again i think we should have a lot of impeachments all the time and yeah, we should just I, do this yeah. Just be yeah. part and, of the and, american and... experience for and every president. The, and on the other hand, it's <laughs> that there there is,
2: and you know, to, and I agree with your point too, is that there is a matter of degree and a matter of vociferousness too, because there's a way in which the Russia thing played out over a long period of time that became sort of normal, right? And it was it was presented noise, yeah. in a way that was like this is the FBI's involved, it's a re- legitimate investigation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, Donald Trump and his psychopathic Uh, supporters who were like, you know, smashing uh, windows to get into the Capitol versus, you know, and all this like mad, like literally the stuff that the people in bus stations are like muttering to themselves about this grand conspiracy. (laughs) Like the, the, the difference between the two is that I'm not saying one's better than the other, but it seemed on the Russia thing, like particularly, that's why I mentioned the Ukraine stuff, is that there was bad stuff going on. They just didn't understand why. The reason they thought it was happening was because there was like, you know, Putin's puppet strings or something, or this was all, you know, he was being soft on the Russians, which by the way, he wasn't often soft on the Russians uh, for, you know, some great gain and some, you know, real estate deal and all this madness. That shit is equally crazy. But, you know, that did not... Not govern the Democratic Party during the 2020 election either. Notice that they didn't mention the impeachment yeah. at all. Whereas Donald Trump is running his life in his, you know, second act after uh, presidency on this notion. You know, he's saying that my new posts will all be about the steel, the steel, the steel. And if, if I can keep on saying this, it will mean that this new president who beat me is illegitimate. That's like a crazy campaign. And, and you know, I, Matt's right that, you know. It is madness that somebody cannot be in leadership of the Republican Party and acknowledge just, you know, forthrightly without equivocation and without, yeah, but, well, let me see, that the man lost the election, period. It's over. And Donald Trump doesn't want to do that because he hates losing, obviously. But it also means that he started his presidency with both houses of Congress, himself in the presidency, ultimately three Supreme Court justices. And where does hmm. he leave it? Both houses of Congress in control of Democrats himself, you know, you know, sitting in Florida trying to figure out if he can blog and, you know, Democrats trying to enlarge the Supreme Court.
3: To the point of what people get excited about, um, what I get excited about is not this issue right now. Um, I think that Trump is bad. I think the Republican Party is incorrigible. I think that they've created an entire media and belief ecosystem, which is much sicker even than the Democrats Terrible uh, ecosystem But it has less power And so it's a weird Asymmetry to try To figure that out um, Because Mm. it's not It doesn't have an active Like collusionary Branch of civil society And yet What I uh, care about most Is that Right now We have a unified Democratic government In Washington That is pushing through Trillions and trillions And trillions of dollars uh, In ways That has not reshaped Federal policy Um, To this extent since LBJ. And there's almost no comment. Um, What Mm -hmm. Republicans want to talk about is cancel culture. Uh, What they want to talk about is going against big tech. And can Josh Hawley like uh, complain about being censored while he's being interviewed? Um, That's that's (laughs) where they want to go because they want that cultural feeling of we're outnumbered, but they don't want to actually do the work. Of opposing um, <laughs> government going everywhere because they actually want to control government going in those directions. As we saw during the Trump presidency itself, um, he was super happy to activate the federal government in the business of media, in the business of speech. Uh, I mean our mutual – Friend, <laughs> former friend, acquaintance, Gavin McInnes. Um, I remember uh, arguing with, with him about this in the 2016 election. He was going to vote for Donald Trump because he's for free speech. And I'm like, I see where you're coming from, Gavin. And at the same time, are you fucking high? Because it doesn't make any sense. Donald Trump wants to intrude on the ability of companies and individuals to speak freely in a way that we haven't seen from a Republican president long since I've been alive, and that's now hmm. a pretty long time. Um so um this I'm I don't wake up in the morning. I'm not Margaret Sullivan. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, God, can we just ban Donald Trump from more platforms? I think that's wrong. We shouldn't ban him from platforms and also we shouldn't be even thinking about him. She
2: really sucks, doesn't she? She's the worst. She's <laughs> but not only really really does she suck the worst. is that she is she's the most overrated Columnist, she's like the Ta-Nehisi Coates of like media columnists. I mean, the Washington Post.
3: I mean, we talked about this last night. I kind of miss him at Screen this writing. point. Oh like, yeah,
2: like, yeah. He's writing Superman. <laughs> he could turn comics, a phrase. Yeah. He
3: could he'd write an adjective. Like Superman. Couldn't do any of that stuff. Um. So look, uh, as, as <laughs> he's I, he's totally as,
2: reasonable compared to this latest crop of people.
3: As I, they're doing impressions of him Uh to you constantly, <laughs> uh, and and uh, Camille, but, but but all of us, um, like my focus is on who has power. What are they doing right now? Sure. It ain't true. Sure. Um, yeah. That's not to say well, that people yeah. who are scared of Trump's voters aren't acting like absolute dickheads. It's not to say that I, in my opinion, what Trump has been doing to attack the legitimacy of the election um, renders whatever Hillary Clinton did. Like it's, it's a mountain versus a molehill. Like they are they're comparable eh. and they're absolutely not comparable. And like in like eh. the the okay. the the gesture even of comparing it over much and especially of their audiences and their their fan bases um, is to render it kind of silly. It's Stacey Abrams is the is the place that you can go there um, much more than Hillary Clinton who didn't it doesn't have a similar impact. But as I've said in this the past, is a it's distraction not about from the
0: individual. Biden. But as I've said before, it's not about the individual. I think it's about the it's about the implications and the effect and i think the implications of having experienced more than a decade now two decades of declining confidence in our political institutions pervasive belief that they are deeply corrupted not 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 just not functioning not just ineffective or inefficient like deeply corrupt to the point where elections are being routinely stolen that misinformation is the gravest threat to society and someone needs to take action immediately, that there is profound distrust and deep abiding polarization in our system, Like I think that problem is more fundamental than the particular concerns around Trump. And I would agree with you wholeheartedly. And and maybe with this, we can pivot to what I suspect will probably be the last thing we get into today because we probably just don't have time to do some of the other stuff. Um, although I do think the China Australia stuff is super interesting and, and worth talking about because we're not pen- spending enough time hour. talking about foreign policy these days. How um, is, is you, you gotta is, join Patreon for
2: that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <an> opportunity, Camille. <laughs> <laughs> but but Joe Biden um and just Democrats in general focusing their attention and and various advocacy groups as well on this problem of misinformation as they see it on a problem of a, a looming growing expansive quote unquote extremist threat and it is it it runs parallel i think to the concern that existed in the country after 9/11 not because the threats are similar in terms of the scale and scope but because much of the conversation after 9/11 turned into these conversations about these sleeper cells and the need to have more information about this this uh shadowy threat to the homeland that existed and it was a a, a pretext for not to say that people pushed this because they wanted to do things that were dastardly, but it allowed for the expansion of the state into various areas that it hadn't been before for broader domestic surveillance powers to be enacted. And the very same thing seems to be happening now, post-January 6th, post the events at the Capitol, the, the violent, deadly insurrection, which I'm not belittling. I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> that just Biden said, is wrong. Just did that. <laughs> I'm saying he's wrong. He's wrong. That that doesn't make sense. That characterization is absurd. Um but what I think is also absurd and and quite frankly a bit dangerous is the way in which the same sort of slipperiness that happened when Barack Obama was president of the United States and we were talking about, you know, the 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 stimulus package that he was passing, and it was like, oh, you know, this is going to save or create X number of jobs. That's how we'll know that it's working. These contrived um, economic metrics, these contrived figures, there are similar sort of contrivances around this stuff. Like You'll see stories that are published about, quote, unquote, terrorist plots and attacks. And there seems to be this determined effort, I think, to make the threat of domestic extremism seem as sort of broad and expansive as possible. And the concern that I have there is that it's not happening in a vacuum. While that happens, there are stories being published about CNN, Biden team may partner with private firm to monitor extremist chatter online. And Axios earlier this week, exclusive coalition calls on Biden to form disinformation task force. One of the parties that um, endorsed this letter calling for the formation of this task force to confront misinformation about everything from election disinformation to the capital, what they call the quote unquote capital insurrection to COVID 19. Um, uh, But one of the organizations that signed to this is the Center for Democracy and Technology, where I actually did my very first um, policy. Uh, fellowship. while well, I was still an undergrad, actually. Would you believe that it was a minority student fellowship, and it was for grad students? You've been but no one else it. applied, yeah. and they gave, so yeah. they gave it to me. They gave it to me while I was still an undergrad. Didn't give it to man. Yeah, I
2: yeah. Tried. Well, he didn't apply. Yeah, he didn't I didn't apply. The 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 Irish, Red Fox, boys, I called them up. Yeah, uh, hey, I'm <laughs> trying to get a job up in the in the <laughs> technology. Got some that ripple. Yeah, you got some sham people. Uh-huh. <laughs> Have my but, and an old <laughs> um,
0: but this is this is something that came up th- that on the um on the last thing that we did with uh, megan kelly moynana you yeah, know you mentioned, mentioned it, it but matt it you'd also flag this um during some of our correspondence in between releases here so i'm i'm interested in having you guys at least talk a little bit about the movement that's happening here whether or not you think my concern about this is perhaps overstated Um, But it does seem like, you know, while there may be genuine concerns about misinformation, I'm probably 20 times more concerned about the federal government developing anything like a strategy to confront it. I'm
2: going to cede this to Matt uh, in a second because he has the actual uh, uh, text of the document in front of him. Uh, The only thing I want to point out is that it's what was really alarming is the groups that are involved. Yep. Uh, Pan America. Mm-hmm. I mean, these yep. these are like. But the thing is, is like larded with all this language about we're really concerned about the government abridging free free speech. It's like okay, yeah. but anyway. Um, so what I think you should do <laughs> is farm this blue ribbon commission, and they talk about the one thing that bummed me out was like these groups being involved, and then like mystified me. Was, um, the misinformation, um, disinformation. Misinformation, disinformation are, by the way, you know, different things, you know, things that are wrong versus things that are deliberately, you know, promulgated to, to confuse and, and, and be wrong. The thing that's, mm-hmm. um, strange about this is that they mentioned January 6th. And it's funny because, Obviously, the impetus of that is the uh, misdis—I think it's disinformation in this in this uh, instance of Donald Trump and and his uh, his buddies in the media and in you know conservative media in and, and the White House that are saying that this is uh, stolen. So go do something about it. But then again, we are confronted with a bit of misinformation and perhaps disinformation too in the reporting about the actual event. The actual event was, you know, the heavy breathing in that was pretty amazing because you can go back and find, go back and find. There was desperation in the headline writing that it would say sixth person died associate. That's not true. And those headlines have never Mm -hmm. been corrected. It was people trying to pile bodies up because they were so appalled by what happened. You have every right. And you probably should be appalled by what happened. But as a journalist, the, the dismiss information that was going on here was both before from Donald Trump, the president, bad, and then afterwards from journalists, bad, where they were saying, you know, Brian Sicknick was killed. And if you, if you, if you don't believe that he was killed, and That's I true. pointed out a number of journalists who said this, then you're a truther, you're a conspiracy theorist. And I have text messages that I could send, uh, I could post that were between, I think, just between Camille and I. When I said early on, this, it was all of us, I said, this doesn't make sense. And here's why it doesn't make sense. And Camille was like, I don't know if I'd say that right now. And I was like, yeah, probably shouldn't. And then in the end, I'm like, yeah, see, that's what happens. And all of the information about that was wrong, right? Now, I'm not going to be in the business of deliberating, uh, of, you know, trying to figure out whether this was deliberate or not. Um, You know, I think in some cases it probably was, and they were just kind of, you know, governed by this instinct that this was so bad that we have to get the worst aspects of it and keep on repeating it. That stuff turned out in a lot of cases not to be true. So it's funny that it can apply there. But when they're talking about this stuff and saying, we believe in strongly in the principle of free speech, and this is what our organizations are all about, um, and we believe the government should intervene in some way with a commission. Now commission is one of those things that's kind of a soft sounding thing, right? It's not empowering anyone to actually do anything. It's just a commission. We'll just study it. Well, why don't you fucking study it? That's what your organizations are about. You're well funded. You have a lot of people that are smart people that can come on pen and especially and, you know, say, this is what we found in a report. Uh, this is what we found about. How uh, disinformation is spreading about the election, about our democracy coming from abroad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why are you including the government in it within, when you're saying in your letter that we are very concerned about the government coming in and, and policing speech? But so you read it you had it in front of you, Matt. So, I mean, you know
3: my so like some of the signatories you can imagine if you live and work in Washington or pay close attention to stupid crap. So it's Common Cause, you know. Robert uh, McChesney type stuff, right? Uh, right. Free Press, which is yeah. Robert McChesney. Um, uh, uh, Access Now, Simply Secure, whatever. A Center for American Progress, right? Yes, like, like, yeah. like lefty progressive institutions. Okay, you get that. But it's also PEN America uh, and also the Electronic Frontier Foundation. That's really disturbing. Too. Both of those to me are disturbing. And um, yeah. so. Um Pan America, for those who aren't aware of the organization, can't tell you the history of it, but I can tell you where the thing that Moynihan and I have uh, mm-hmm. paid attention to it over the years is that uh, it was among and probably the most important organizations in the 1970s and the 1980s in particular, but also in the 90s in, in different ways of fighting for the free speech rights of dissidents, journalists and other human beings who were repressed in central and Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. like the best. Those people were great about this. They were in, in American context, they were way left of center. Just sort of think Susan Sontag mm-hmm. as your, as your modal Pan America person. Um, and they got enough information to understand That communist totalitarianism is super bad (laughs) for people want to write for a living and that it's a big problem um, and that has uh, like multifaceted solutions to it. And we're incredibly helpful to those dissidents writing and toiling over there. So there are people who, by their definition, have always understood the problem of conflating speech and government. The Electronic Frontier Foundation com- is the 1990s organization, comes out of Silicon Valley. And mm. it is, they get to a similar conclusion from a different way, which is that they're part of the John Perry Barlow, like, you know, Louis Rossetto early, like wild internet freedom, uh, idea that the thing that the internet is creating is, is private. It is this wonderful post kind of government thing. And so they have been on the right side of so many issues. Yes. Um. In in uh, in free speech in the modern era, I will read you the first paragraph because I can't believe it. It's <laughs> Pan America EFF. It's the other assholes too, but it's these people. Dear, dear, uh, dear President Biden, congratulations on your election and your administration's impressive first 100 <laughs> days.
2: Yeah. Are you fucking yeah, yeah. kidding me? Yeah, I don't know. you are a mm. very good-looking man. Are you kidding <laughs> me? Yeah, it's crazy. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously,
3: like all you have done, the best of you is talk about how it's terrible to kiss the ring. It's so mm-hmm. bad to kiss the ring. It's so bad to focus the um like the energy of freeing speech. On lathering up the politician and that's how you start the letter. My God. Um, Yeah. So it goes on from there. That sticks in my craw. The idea that you want to empower the federal government of any country in the world to be the ones who are in charge of disinformation. I'll give you a small, stupid anecdote. After 9-11, I had written a weblog that became sort of popular and I was angry Um, And um, and in the prospect uh, in the process of doing that, and I was like writing stuff about how certain celebrated international, very left wing, anti imperialist journalists weren't always super reliable in their conveyance of the facts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I uh, maybe even suggested on my personal blog that um, it might be useful just to sort of on a full time basis, like just fact check. Things. I wasn't suggesting that the government do this. I was just saying like we should fact check people who are out there in the world given too much credence because they're far away but who – to the extent that you can like fact check what they're doing. Like are you sure about that? I'm not naming names right now. Um, and I remember getting a, an email from a guy who was working at the time. Um, I think he was the number two in the South African embassy for the US. He's like, wow, you're really on to something. Like we should like start a whole thing in the State Department and we should do this and we should like, you know, uh, have like a truth thing that comes out and like uh, combats the,
2: the everything else. South Africa just gone through his Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So maybe they were.
3: But, but also but, like yeah. maybe he was like animated by that. Yeah, right? This yeah. You know, which is a very inspiring. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission is one of the most like interesting and kind of beautiful uh, expressions and ways of dealing with a really traumatic post-totalitarian situation. How do you deal with these really complicated issues of forgiveness, but yet, um, you know, kind of transparency? It's really hard. And that's why people keep going to this. In fact, in many of the people who are advocating for uh, like, you know, we need the Fed Biden to do a disinformation thing, um, they invoke the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Well, um, that was a commission that came out because you had to reconcile The country that used to be totalitarian. We have not been totalitarian. This is not a very good analog at all. And most importantly, like you don't want the government in charge of this stuff at all. You just don't. The government is is incentivized. We should know by now that incentives matter um, and that like the government is not as much as you can have. You can have so many nice and great people in government. And I'm I'm not even saying that sarcastically, um, who are like true public servants the government is not, based on their incentives, trying to give you all of the best information about their activities because nobody is, for crying out loud. Like, know how power works. It's not going to work very well that way. And yep. Pan America and EFF absolutely know that. And to, like, like, please, Mr. Biden, you know, give us the disinformation uh, committee is <laughs>
2: it's so wrong. The, the, it's so hasn't the, wrong.
0: Hasn't the EFF been been wrong about a couple of things re- though? Re- uh, recently, recently, weren't they on the wrong recently, side yeah. of the of the net neutrality stuff? Recently, and by, yeah. by wrong side, I mean that they the were moment, amongst. Actually. The broad universe of people who are saying this is the end of the Internet a is going to destroy the <laughs> Internet. All of the prices are going to go through Weird, the roof. There's happened. going to be rampant throttling. You won't be able to reach yep. the websites of your of your uh, of interest to you because your ISP is going to, to, to disallow you from doing this. What happened, of course, is a Pie instituted all of the changes that he wanted to. And Nothing happened. Happened. none of that bad shit happened. Yeah. Not, there's in, no accountability. None of for it that happened. Not even no. None of it happened. Yeah. Like that's incredible. None of it happened. And there's no.
3: <laughs> where, where's like the like uh, the, the, the pro publica like. Uh, you know, I know. What's the name of the the organization that goes back and looks at the uh, like the old dead stories and says, oh maybe the satanic panic wasn't a good idea. Yeah. Well, that's, like, yeah. that's the internet version. Yeah. Sure. The
2: one final thing I'll say on that is that is that the most basic point of this is um, you don't want anyone in the government doing this, but how are they going to do it? Because how do you, Mm -hmm. how do you decide what is true and what isn't? Um, I will, uh, somebody, a listener emailed me and said, Hey, I remember you talking about how the first book about the Kennedy assassination that implicated the CIA or implicated a conspiracy was published by a a KGB front publisher in New York. Uh, I can't find any reference to that, which is astonishing to me because he couldn't. So I gave him the reference and and he was like, Oh wow, really? Um, and that is, that's is—that's true. That's like a bit of foreign disinformation that has absolutely shaped how America has looked at one of the most traumatic events of the, of the 20th century. And that stuff is really bad. And no government commission would have caught that, I don't think. Um, but we find out about it later. And it's, you know, it, it's still... No one knows it, and it exists in Hollywood movies. And I think it is what seventy odd, eighty odd percent believe that there was conspiracy to kill Kennedy, and that was like a thing that was really, really, really uh, orchestrated at the early stages by 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 the KGB, particularly because they didn't want people thinking that the guy who defected to the Soviet Union was acting on their orders. So the thing is, <laughs> you cannot you cannot figure out what is true and what is false in real time, if it's coming from a foreign government, you know, who is smuggling this into our... Because that shit doesn't happen the way it used to. It doesn't happen in the sense that, you know, the Soviets funded a publisher in New York City and gave them money that's not like, mm. now it's like they put up Facebook ads. We have to have a commission to figure out which of these dumb, like, no, no, that's just dumb. And you can notice that from a while, mile away. But let's yeah. be postmodern about it for one, for one thing. We don't know what truth is in a lot of these circumstances. And it's very mm-hmm. easy and pat to say, well, if you have a commission to people who are really smart, because smart people never get anything then we'll wrong. Know. Yeah. Then we'll know. Then we'll know. Yeah. Anyway. Yep.
0: Yeah, it's been a long one. I, I, so. I, it's it's one of those it's one of those things where like seven short months ago, everyone in America who sees a headline that says "Coalition calls on President of the United States to form disinformation task force" would have been terrified. Virtually everyone in America would have said, "This is fucked up. Yeah, this is fucked up, and this cannot stand." Yes.
1: Yes. it
0: happens now. Crickets. Yeah, no. Crickets. A, he's truth, man. Republicans. Republicans are obsessing over all manner of things. Oh, come on, man. Tripping come over on. themselves. It's truth. Crickets. Hell, it's
2: truth. Number one, number one.
0: <laughs> the <laughs> truth—we got to know. We got to know the truth. <laughs> a First pot. thing, yeah. Second thing, you know, it's <laughs> pen.
2: pen, America. Of... they are good. They're good people. Where's my mask? I don't, I don't have a... I got three masks on. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy so don't... small. He's so small. His wife. He's just tiny. His His wife. I like him that way. Rose, rosie Rosalind. <laughs> We're Rose Friedman, right <laughs> there. <I was laughs> the, yeah, she was like her husband. Oh my <laughs> god.
0: Um, well, uh, maybe maybe just a, a quick preview of, of World War III. We do know that the, uh, really? the Chinese for the course of the yeah. Quick preview. We're, we're going, like to the going to Chinese. Going to Chinese. World War, World three war III. Were Chineseing.
2: World oh, no. War
0: Three. Drive by. We can come back to it later. We'll do a special There's episode. There's been right? a tremendous amount of saber rattling. Um, and some of it now is coming from Australia. Good, uh, a, a leaked report. It seems like, perhaps not leaked, maybe just strategically leaked. Who knows? It but on the desk. A, a high-ranking, high-ranking member. No.
2: Chinese of the government steps there, like dong.
0: <laughs> <Come get laughs> suggesting it, that head. there might, in fact, be a conflict with the Chinese inevitably, largely because of a lot of the provocative actions they've been taking in the South China Sea, but in the broad in the region more broadly. Um, we all know about the things that they've done with respect to Hong Kong. Most of us know that there have been uh, intense pressures put on Taiwan. Um, we may not know that I believe it was in the Philippines where uh, a, a government minister put a post up on Twitter um, that was pretty pretty explicit, um, warning China uh, about some of their their actions in the region, um, and the Chinese have really been trolling the Australians for. <laughs> years now like making just we like all aggressive <laughs> horrible posts <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. have you seen that
0: about the about the australians a so it's it's interesting Chinese to see Chinese things ratchet up there
1: fucking christ <laughs>
3: did you see ben dreyfus trolling the australians the other day oh was he he's i like, didn't i didn't see that a country the size of america and has a population less than texas it's because it's a shithole <laughs> yeah hey
0: hey but not people don't realize beautiful that ben beautiful beautiful, is beautiful country yeah yeah. 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 beautiful no, but that's real can, can country.
2: we do a live show in australia so i can go because i've never been one place i've never, never been to australia that's it we've got it's a long weird. way to go to get out there but I, we I do, do have it. friends do out there. We do show on the plane the too because it's a lot yeah yeah
0: <laughs> but but this is but this is a legit issue and worth paying a lot of attention to it's it's definitely the case that a lot of the 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 progress that seemed to be made by the Chinese government on the diplomatic front, like relationships that they had been been building with various European powers, have degraded substantially. Um, but that has not stopped um, a lot of the sort of aggressive actions on the part of the Chinese, and has even resulted in powers who had previously been reluctant to do some of the, like economic sanctions, et cetera, against the Chinese to actually move in that direction recently because of some of their antics. Um, and there have been a lot of talks about the US becoming more of a presence in the region um, and the Biden administration perhaps putting more pressure on the Chinese. Um, so this is something to pay some attention to. Uh, despite all of the action that's happening on the domestic front, there's a hell of a lot of stuff. We will that come back uh, We'll elsewhere. have a
2: big. We should have a big China uh, extravaganza. Maybe we can do it on Patreon, yeah. and then we'll release it wide. Yeah, yeah. But sign up, and if you sign up, if you sign, you listen to this right now, and you sign up right now, you hear this right now, and you sign up right now. Just send me a message, and we'll do a special China uh, episode just Ooh. for you, or I will <laughs> anyway. I'll just copy. <laughs> like, you know what? You know what I about the Chinese? <laughs> They're really <laughs> fucking with us, <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> Which was me and Zach. Do it, do it in an Aussie, yeah. in an Aussie accent. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was a good episode. Yeah. Let's get some
0: shorts right? on, this <laughs> <laughs> Uh right.
2: But yeah, let's get the hell out, get of the out of here. We
0: got, we got a uh, lot to do. And again, that uh, that event is coming, and I know a lot of you are planning to make the trip to Miami. Um, it, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be a humdinger. You can expect to see details about that hit the website in the next week or so. Um, I expect the tickets to sell out very quickly. Bring
2: Dogecoin and cocaine, and then we'll be cool. (laughs) That's all we need. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. Bye. 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 We, we, We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The
1: Fifth Column.